mighty listeners and um, over to Ben. What? Ben has just told me that he doesn't have to do anything in the intro. He just sits there and goes, um. So, uh, yeah, but he's not ready. So I will do it, Ben. Oh, that's good. Thanks, man. Tonight, as always, we shall go (laughs) onto the hobby desk. Uh, Ben has been painting. Oh, my God. Uh, And I'm still doing the same batch. Um, We are joined by Mr. Chris Goff, or Narrative Chris, to talk about... uh, what kind of motivates him around the hobby and the madness that he gets up to. So he's joining us in the hobby desk. He's also joining us in Galaxy of War, where we'll be talking, apparently something's coming out for 40K. So we're going to talk about that a bit. Uh, And also Obscura, which is a campaign that Ben has dreamed up in his mind. And Chris has stormed ahead and created some awesome. Uh, In the Mortal Realms, we've got the General's Handbook. We've got the Luminef Realm Lords. And I have played a game. Bloodthirster. Then we go into the community and uh, I get all passionate and opinionated about something. And um, then we talk about Awesome Hobby, uh, which is good. And finally, Into the Wilds, where we've actually got something that fits the category we created uh, and is a, a quite an interesting review by Chris of Drowned Earth, which he's painted a bunch of models for. So a range of things to listen to. We're really glad uh, that you've uh, downloaded the podcast and you're listening. You know what to do grab some refreshments and we'll go onto the hobby desk yeah i didn't need to say anything it's all good evening, by the way hey all evening let's see kind of Hi guys, and welcome to episode 56 is Hobby Desk, <laughs> um, where we are joined by Chris, who is one of our um, hobby circle, who is very blind chitsu, very different style to quite almost everyone else in our little group, and it's a pleasure to have you along, Chris. Thank you very much for having me. I'm very pleased to be here. Narrative Chris. Narrative Chris. Narrative mm. Chris before. Uh, he's absolutely a, a top tier matched play player. Really, <laughs> all the rules, mm-hmm. um, or has no interest at all. So we thought we'd ask Chris on because we mentioned last time that Ben has begun a sort of a, a building a scenario for us all to get involved in um, on the world of Obscura, uh, which is a planet which is in a pocket of uh, warp, warp space. Is that right? So it's stuck in the middle at the moment of the Cicatrix Maledictum, but before it was surrounded by warp storms and largely in the period of space where no one bothered to go because it just wasn't navigatable, navigable, navigatable, that one. (laughs) You couldn't find your way there. (laughs) You couldn't get there. But we'll talk a little bit more about the narrative in a bit. But um, the, the idea for the hobby desk, the reason why sort of talking about in the hobby desk is because pretty much all of us are are doing an army for obscure the idea is that it's a a pooling of resources to tell a narrative story using all of our stuff and um, at the moment we're mainly working on our armies to do it Um, 
and the, the kind of the first wave of it, because I'm hoping that this will go on for some time, is um, is obviously the scouting forces or the the initial forces that have been sent there to deal with it. And I think it's really interesting how people have interpreted that tiny little piece. So we have scouting force for Chris is an inquisitor and a bunch of specialist inquisitor troops. Scouting force for Ross is like Korn's most hard-hitting because <laughs> they land on the planet and rage or whatever is there. <laughs> Rather than sort of going down and going, oh, I wonder what's going on. It's like, no, I can't all. <laughs> I suppose that's quite true to form, really, though, isn't it? And if you consider, you know, the word scouting force and corn aren't two that you would normally <laughs> no. put together, I suspect they do just arrive and rage on everything. So. Isn't that just a hundred cultists and see how yeah. <laughs> Angry cultists. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so going over to Chris anyway, uh, your force dude, as Ben has said, is, is led by an inquisitor with a mm-hmm. plan. Um, you've written a cool bit of narrative, um, but how, you know, I suppose what would be cool we'll get some pictures up or you've put some pictures in the hobby forum, but how did you approach the project? Well, how did you decide what you wanted to do? Um, how you'd paint them? Yeah, I, well, I, I suppose in the much the same way in my hobby generally, it's, it's sort of, um, embryonic and then grows very quickly. (laughs) So, um, and grows in sort of all sorts of directions. So, um, and I think I was somewhat infused when I saw, Ben's initial uh, message on the messenger group that said, you know, want to do a narrative campaign. And I was just off then down a enthusiastic tunnel of excitement about, you know, what, what could that look like and what would that be? And I, I, I don't do a lot of 40k. Uh, well, I don't do, I haven't done, I haven't played 40k for years and years and years. I haven't built a 40k army for years. I dabble around the edges. I pick up the models I like and, and um, that sort of thing. But I don't, I don't, I'm not a committed you know, I don't have a dedicated force. And if I walk into a games workshop store and somebody says to me, what do you collect? I'm like, I don't know, a bit of everything really. Uh, paints mostly. And so, <laughs> um, so like yeah. <laughs> but, but what I had seen a while ago was, uh, in fact, I think you discussed it on one of the earlier episodes was the new enforcers for Necromunda were released and the enforcers, they had, they've got this new look or they've got, you know, a look and it's very much reminiscent of what would, um, you know, Belisarius calls you know, new uh, modern pattern power armor look like if it was scaled down for civilian control type force. And so the helmets are reminiscent of the Mark 10 helmets on the intercessors and the, you know, the, the shoulder pads and all the armor. And it's all got a certain aesthetic. And I thought, wow, wouldn't that make a great 40k force you know nothing expansive no 2000 points but just you know that was kind of like just that image of an enforcer with a bolt gun uh, or a shotgun and their helmets and i was like yeah i really want to i'd love to turn that into something and so that's sort of where the idea came from and then and i love the inquisition i've always loved the inquisition i I bought inquisitor back when it was released the the old um book which used the the very large 54 millimeter metal models and i only ever played a handful of games but that book was like a, a resource Amazing, yeah, yeah that i had never experienced before and it was just wonderful and it introduced this new really exciting um narrative to 40k which presented you know an, an echelon of the adeptus terror which is um completely fractious and has uh, you know a hundred different points of view at any one time each inquisitor is their own man um 
they're the only people really in the whole 40k universe uh, on the side of the imperium that have any kind of agency or any kind of authority mm. they know all the secrets and they they know what that means for for the species and the race and and so the that that aspect I, I love all of 40k really but that particular aspect of it is fascinating to me and leads to really interesting narratives i read the eisenhorn novels years ago i remember dan abnett saying that you know when he he approached them he was like i want to have a go at um or, or they're more like a uh, a murder mystery type novel rather yeah, than yeah. one of your conventional yeah. war sort of novel. So, yeah. so the Inquisition fascinates me and I was like, oh, I've got to do an in- Inquisitor. Um, and uh, I think I'd seen the, that Gene Steeler cult model. Um, I forget which one it is actually. Um, a locus it's called. And I, th- I remember thinking, wow, that would make an excellent Inquisitor one day if ever I had a call to make one. And then suddenly we have a narrative campaign and I thought, oh, well, here's a happy mashup. And I got, I am, um, I suspect, like many hobbyists, I love to create things that you've never seen before or try to create things that you've never seen before or try to put my own personal take on, um, you know, the the impressive materials that Games Workshop publish and produce. Um, And so that was sort of the melting pot, if you like, of all of my ideas for where this could go Mm. and what it would look like. And then it just sort of started to evolve from there. So my Inquisitor got a name. He became Dorian Keel. I quite like uh, the idea of um, Dorian Gray with his picture in the attic. And so... He, yeah. um, I stole that. I, I thought d- you'd nicked it from that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not, it's not that common a name, is it? So, no. So, yeah, he became Dorian Keel, and he's an inquisitor of many advanced years. He's lived long past the natural span of human life, and he's got uh, incredible psychic uh, potential. Um, but he, and he's not, he's not armed with any conventional weapons. You wouldn't look, he just looks like a frail old man, very reminiscent of the Sigilite, you know, um, from mm. the Horus Heresy era. Um, and he treads very, very... Uh, closely to the the line that constitutes he's a, he's a heretic yeah, is. <laughs> he's just a straight well, up heretic i think as with anything in the inquisition you know there, everything is a shade of gray but there are quite a lot of people that would call him out as a heretic i, I would argue um, that if if you are blending the dna of humans and l of an elder you're so past the gray <laughs> in <into> heresy <laughs> so, hmm, i wonder if this is heresy well, uh, yeah, but well, you know, yes, it is. <laughs> well, Belisarius call himself, you know, upgraded space marines, and that was only what the emperor's children chat was trying to do ten thousand years before. And got a bit. Are you comparing <laughs> Belisarius call with Fabius Bile? Yeah. What? It's not Why have different. we got him on here? <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, I, I, I said I enjoy the shades of grey. So, um, so yeah, uh, uh, so he he sort of got. Uh, got started to get some skin on the flesh on the bones as it were and um and and then i thought well what would his force be you know what what models am i going to bring to the table and i wanted to use these enforcer models and so then the idea of his praetor guard were born and they're sort of his own private military group and the reason that they exist is um is really because whilst he's an inquisitor he has the authority of the inquisition he can call upon the resources of almost all of the imperium to do so inevitably involves an element of politics if you want to if you want to use a space marine chapter you need to liaise with a space marine chapter master and they tend to be people with quite firm views about things like mixing eldari dna with (laughs) dna and equally the same is true of the imperial navy and you know all the other aspects of, of the, the military echelons of the um, imperium they asked too many questions as far as he's concerned and so he was like right well i'm going to go and create my own small but private military force and so uh, so he's created these um 
uh, that these Praetor Guard, and they can, they're, they're sort of a unique force in as much as they're genetically modified, which means I can use Space Marine Scout profiles and things, so they've all got Strength yeah. 4, Toughness 4, um, but they're not genetically modified like a Space Marine is genetically modified, which is you know, very much presented in the law as a, um, uh, almost an industrial process. You know, it's like, um, it, it's the genetic enhancement refined, so you can make lots of Space Marines very quickly yeah. relative to other genetic um, modifications and enhancements and he doesn't have that he doesn't have primark gene seed to to use and they don't have black carapace and all that sort of thing so they're all armored in flak armor and they've got genetic enhancements but the failure rate is much much higher than would be for creating a space marine so so his praetor guard are a small but elite force that he utilizes for sort of surgical type activities mm. um whenever he he needs to do so so yeah so then there uh, uh, and that's uh, and then there's the unique twist to them that i thought i quite liked was that um keel is a, a psyker of significant potential and what he does with each of his recruits who who come to join the praetor guard is he just he, he they go through a process called the scouring whereby their minds and their history are essentially just wiped from their brains by um keel himself with his using his psychic powers um, and so that any any affiliations they may have had any loyalties any family anything anything they had in the past is gone from them all they are now is almost like a blank slate for him to build his uh, loyalty to him um, upon and so they're all indiv- uh, they've, they're, they're unique but they've moved into sort of a, a you know like a, a level playing field in terms of their history and who they are and, and as a result they're, they're, ne- they're unlikely to ever betray him well perhaps we shall see mm. um, and so that was quite an interesting take on it and well and then um, and of course after I built uh, the idea of Keel, I went. I started to put some enforcers together, and I was I was lucky to acquire the um, Dark Uprising set for Necromunda. But I I have a lot of Necromunda models already, um, and I wasn't particularly um, wedded to the idea of building enforcers for Necromunda or the um, the Chaos Cultists that come in that box. I forget what they're called, Corpse Grinders. Corpse Grinders. Yeah. yeah. So I thought, well, maybe I could use that plethora of models. Um, for my new 40k force, my narrative force. And so um, I raided that. And that, of course, comes with the new Enforcer Subjugator models, which are lovely and bigger, much bigger than the, the regular Enforcers. Um, and I thought, oh, well, that, you know, one of those would make a great hero or champion. And so I converted one. And so um, uh, their, their first minister was born, who sort of got overall command, Erasmus, he's called. Uh, he's got overall command of the Praetor Forces. And he's, uh, he's an interesting figure because... The scouring process will wipe away all sorts of ancillary stuff that, you, that a soldier wouldn't normally want want wiped away, like perhaps you know their ability to reload or strip their weapons or drive a tank or whatever it may be. In addition to wiping away all the stuff that Keel wants gone, but but Erasmus is a unique individual because he he went through the scouring and came out the other side without so much as he he'd lost all of his past but retained all of his abilities. And you know, in worst cases, it leaves you so you can't walk and you can't speak and you can't remember how to use it, to eat and stuff. But he's not even bothered a little bit by it. You know, his ability to kill was a, akin to muscle memory. And so he's a natural leader for the uh, the Praetor Guard, and uh, I quickly sort of converted up and painted in sort of record time. I think a model for him. Um, but that's not unusual for you, though. It's like no, I, I do paint guys, quickly. Look what I've put together. Four hours later, <laughs> it's done. Oh, <laughs> nails, teeth, yeah, <laughs> I went. Yeah, I mean, I love the Blanchitsu style of painting, um, as you know, but. Mm. One of its massive appeals is that it can be quite quick. 
um, you know, it's a lot of brown, um, a lot of sort of weathering materials and things, and uh, and that can hide uh, you know all sorts of brush strokes. So I, I enjoy it for that. I enjoy its aesthetic. I enjoy the look, but I also enjoy that you can get through a force quite quickly and in a weekend. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but I I never happy to just build a force of space marine. You know, want to be space marine scouts really. I love to put a, a, a twist on things, and I had the old. Um, uh, what's it called? Uh, the old metal Catan model lying around in a drawer somewhere. The Deceiver. The Deceiver, yeah. Yeah, that's the one. And I've had him for ages and ages. I think I bought him, I don't know, over a decade ago or something as a gift. Um, and I sort of put him together and painted him gold and gone off that and painted him silver and gone off that. I didn't never finished him. And then I thought, oh, this is a wonderful opportunity. So, so it became that um, in- Inquisitor Keel has, you know, through some machination and artifice has acquired at this point before you say what you're about to say that this is the same inquisitor keel who you claim isn't a heretic let's remember that as you tell us this <laughs> yeah now. so so th- through some unknown artifice he's managed to acquire his very own Catan, <laughs> uh, and <laughs> he keeps it in a small box under his bed uh, and hasn't let it out yet but he you know he, he foresees that the, the day is coming when its destructive potential will be needed and so he, he just sort of keeps it to hand um and that that narrative alone keys in really nicely with another member of our group ben um another ben who is uh, uh, convenient enough putting together necrons and is now quite keen to hunt down my inquisitor because he's rather cross that some you know upstart human has run off with one of their more prized possessions. I've got a um, feeling there's going to be a fair few people are going to be chasing your inquisitors. Yeah, I think you're right. I've upset quite a lot. Um, so, so yeah, and then I, I began converting him, and I, I, I was, it felt like a great opportunity to have a go at this model that I'd never really been happy with. So I snipped his head off, and I, I stuck some of those little, um, you know, those Vansar uh, uh, tentacle things that come out of the back of their heads all around him, um, as if they were sort of mechadendrites or something, and I put one of the AOS ghosts heads on instead and that sort of thing. And then, uh, and, uh, and then covered him in metal paint and covered him in green. And I was just really pleased with the way he came out. And so, and I thought, well, that's one, what a great centerpiece. You've got what is otherwise a sort of human militaristic force, which is comprised of human sized models um, with this great big glowing green metal God thing in the middle just looks wonderful mm. when you array them all together. I was really, really pleased with the way that had come out. And so that was it really. And then it, I just, and it just kind of evolved from there. And I, I started to think about how would these guys get about? They're not just going to use a, they're not going to get access to land raiders. They're certainly not going to get access to the new Primaris floating tanks. Like, what, I can't remember what they're called. Um, and I thought, Repulse. well, okay, that's it. Thank you. Yeah. Um, it comes to something when you've got Ben telling you the name, isn't it? Bloody hell. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, but I'd always loved the land speeder scout model. Uh, uh, yeah, the, yeah, Storm. the scout. What is it? Storm? And yeah, but I'd never owned one, and I thought <laughs> and I'd never owned one because I'd never really been had any need to have one, and I'd never needed, never been able to give my own unique take on it. And then I, I thought, oh, this is one. This will be a great thing for them to get about in. So, um, I ordered one, and ordered some wheels from a, another uh, manufacturer called Zinge. Uh, these great big sort of military industrial wheels, and just stuck them on the bottom with some gorilla glue. <laughs> Took about two minutes. Easiest conversion ever, and um, it, I love it. It's it looks like this sort of buggy, like Halo reminiscent warthog style. Oh, it's uh, superb! It really, it really little really truck works. thing. 
And, and of course, I had to then give that a narrative. So I think it's got like the designation 14,007 um, in open brackets, land crawler, Mark, uh, uh, you know, another version of that ubiquitous um, STC template that's, that's so commonly used by the Adeptus Astartes and things and, and sort of gave that a bit of background. And then I filled it full of enforcers as well, um, quite literally riding shotgun in the back, which is... Uh, um, uh, and then covered it in mud and <laughs> dry brushed it grey. And uh, yeah, look, I'm really pleased with that too. And I, I've actually got another one on order because I thought, well, one of those isn't enough. So, no, <laughs> no. so I've gone from sort of basically swearing myself off 40k and saying, like, I'm just going to stick to Necromunda and the smaller scale stuff um, because I can't commit to these 2,000 point armies anymore. To you sending one text, Ben, that said, I want to do a narrative campaign. And now <laughs> I've gone down this rabbit hole and produced all these miniatures, which, uh, uh, yeah. Um, has been an incredibly rewarding experience. I think what I love about it, Chris, and the, your hobby, I will spend hours or days, months agonizing over, you know, how I'm going to do a color scheme. Like my Caradron Overlords, I, I still haven't oh. decided and I won't open them because I have just spent. Whereas how about this you just start hacking stuff and <laughs> paint on and you create these amazing things. Um, like, and the bit that I, my favorite thing about your uh, land speeder ground awesome things, land crawlers um, was a, the fact that I, you'd show me a picture of the storm and I thought that was cool. And then when you showed it to me, it had wheels and I was like, Oh, and then also I think you posted it. You posted it up in a group on Facebook and possibly the, the Inquisitor 28 one, maybe. Mm. And somebody had been like, can I see the detail underneath <laughs> of like the drivetrain? There's <laughs> 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 nothing to see because it's just some Gorilla Glue and stuff <laughs> shoved on. And I love that because you create stuff quickly and, you know, because I've you know, played you quite a lot, we have a load of fun with all this stuff that you've created. And I think you'd be, the, you know, don't get me wrong, it looks great on the table, but I think you'd be the first at me. If you pick stuff up and really get into it, it's not because you oh, can't yeah. paint like that, because you've got some really nice, like your Escher, when you did them with all the, like, non-metallic metal bases and stuff, you know, absolutely great. But you've you've recognised what we Ben and I talk about all the time, which is, you know, you've got, you've got two kids, um, married, you've got a job, you've got all this stuff to do. <laughs> You, you can't put all that time into single models when you want to actually do something and you create no. awesomeness. Um, <laughs> Thank you. And then yeah. I get to play against it, <laughs> yeah. uh, which is yeah. good. So, yeah. Yes, I, it's exactly I, that, really. My first child was born. I realized, and I think it had taken me something like eight months to paint 10 Escher. And I just realized that was not how I was going to hobby anymore. And it was time to start thinking about it differently. And then I sort of started to discover the Inquisitor 28 groups on Instagram and on. And I thought, oh, these are wonderful. This is just wonderful, you know, because the thing about that is it's not so much the Blanchitsu style of painting. It's the, it's the conversion opportunities. You know, if you browse yeah. an Inquisitor 28 group, you don't see something Games Workshop have made. You see bits that Games Workshop have made and then that people have put together in whole ways in which I'd never thought about before. And, you know, something's got Necron legs with a Adeptus Mechanicus head on it. And, uh, you know, it's, I just think that's fascinating. And I, that sort of sent me down a, a whole new hobby rabbit hole, really, where I kind of went away from uh, that thing that I think a lot of new, newer hobbyists do quite, quite 
naturally and perfectly fine, which is uh, copy the box art. You know, I want, I want ultramarines because ultramarines are awesome. And ultramarines are awesome. I'm not debating that for a second. But I was like, I want to, I want to try something different now. <laughs> These Praetor Guard, though, they're, they're a funny little force because I think I might have mentioned in one of our groups that the last 40k arm, I mean, I had, I've had a few. I had some ultramarines when I first started out and I got the first edition Dark Eldar and a few other bits and pieces. But the last force I had was a bunch of grey space marines I had. Um, I was only about 1,500 points, I think, but I had a little grey land raider and a little, a few grey squads and a, a, a grey razorback. And I took them to a tournament um, in London and it all went sort of fine. It was quite good fun. Um, but I'd spent, I remember we, this tournament was coming up and I had to paint them in time. And I, it's the only tournament I've ever been to in my life, but I had to get them finished in order to go to this tournament. And mm. um, so it's an awful lot of dry brushing gray and very quickly painting eye lenses with just red dots. Um, and you know, all the guns became black, whereas I think my original plan was that they would be red or something like that. And it became a huge, just a massive undertaking, and I didn't enjoy it at all. Um, and so, I've, and then I kind of forty uh, k, you know, slid by the wayside for a bit. And I promised myself that if I ever did dabble in forty k again, I would do something like Harlequins or Dark Elder. I would never again go down the grey Space Marine route. And then, within a few minutes of receiving your text about a narrative campaign, I'd built grey genetically enhanced <laughs> <laughs> private military force. Um, because well, I think what's really cool because yeah. you you um are a massive fan of the contrast range, aren't you? Mm, yeah, I I just love it. Yeah. What what has changed is just it's it's knowledge and techniques. You know, so much of what you do is knowledge and techniques. Um, mm, yeah, absolutely. I and, and the internet is a resource that I didn't have when I started started out in the hobby, and mm. it's just a gift. It's just an incredible. Don't say gift. things like that. <laughs> <laughs> I know. But Warhammer makes me feel so old. It's ridiculous <laughs> when they're like, "Oh yeah, yeah, this came out in 1990," <laughs> and I'm like, oh. "I know." And I think well, well, I've still only painted half of that. <laughs> my favorite one is when that dude posted the picture of the of the Necron. But the what are they oh. called the the metal necron with the long tail for the oh yeah, yeah. and he's like is this actually a legit model because it looks like a like a kit bash and we were all like <laughs> what that was like <laughs> recently in a range I swear <laughs> that's ridiculous there mm. <laughs> because you messaged me and we're like this makes me feel so old <laughs> <laughs> it's madness. madness models we've been collecting have. Um, I've literally left the the collective memory. <laughs> <laughs> so we um, thanks Chris because it's good. It's great to have some uh, a bit of diversity, and um, we'll get we'll get some pictures. Well, you know, I know you sent lots of pictures, but it'd be good to pull some pictures together. And Ben will make sure they go on the website. Um, okay, yeah. yes, Ben will. <laughs> yes, <make> will. <laughs> um, so. But before we uh, head into uh, 40k, it'd be good just to quickly catch up on what, uh, Ben, you've been doing, because you've moved from basically building about the contents of a Games Workshop's worth of miniatures yeah. um, on to doing some painting. Yeah, I have. I've been, um, I have been doing some painting. Um, I've finished my Iron Jaws that is, that I started in... November, end of November, um, which was a big batch of Ard Boys and uh, a couple of other other things that um, 
I just wanted to buff out my hard boys because they they became such a good unit in the last in the last uh, general's handbook and and with the um, with the the new Warwick war clans that I wanted to buff them out. So um, they were about two thirds done. Um, so I sat down and finished them. That was that was a real. I'm really chuffed with that because that that makes my um, my Auric my Auric War Clans book army now pretty significant, pretty big. Um, whereas before it was just literally one of each unit, which is quite easy to do for for the Iron Jaws because there isn't many in there. And I just sort of bought the two collecting boxes and painted one of everything. Um, but now it feels it feels like an army, you know. It feels like an actual collection. So I was really happy with that. You got it out. Took some photos, didn't you, the other day? Yeah, yeah. Of um, most of them together. Yeah. Um, there's a few things I want to add to it. I, I just cannot paint enough gorg runners because I just love I love gorg runners. I love the idea of an orc sat on an animal that just heads in a direction and everything that it comes in contact with turns into red mist. <laughs> awesome. um, yeah. So uh, there'll probably be at least another unit of gore grunters. Um, and they, I, the speed it took me to paint those using contrast compared to pre-contrast is outstanding. Because um, all of the fur, most of the base coats and washing was re- was replaced with a, a wash for the straps. Um, it, it just made everything so much faster. Um, so and that was really important because... When I do my iron jaws, I use an airbrush to do the armor, and that means the whole kind of thing is quite bright. So I need to go in and darken quite a lot of the areas before I can start bringing them back up again. So the orc skin looks really poor if you go straight over the white. It doesn't look right. So I have to essentially black that out. But with this, it's just bang it on, done. Brilliant. Lovely. <laughs> um, so that was exciting. And I've now started a monstrous batch well over 60 Space Balls, which are well on the way to being base-coated now. Um, I've only got the leather pouches and the bone to do, um, and the fur. And the bone and fur will probably get base-coated in the same colours. I did that because I just, I knew that if I left it much longer, there was going to be more and more Primaris, and the older Astartes models would be less and less likely to get painted. So if I didn't do them now, there was a very good chance that they were never going to get done. <laughs> so I thought I would sit down and do them. Um, because one of the things I want for my Space Wolf collection is that I'll be able to go, I'd like to play a battle from this period and that period and this period. And I'll be able to do that because I've got 30k Space Wolves and then my, I've got Ragnar's Great Company, which will cover the whole of his life. And um, I'm going to reenact made... the, all, all of the many great defeats of the Space Wolves through the ages. Yeah, yeah, many great defeats. Yeah. yeah. One of the most successful chapters in the history of the Imperium. But yeah, Dan, you crack on. <laughs> well, your, your integrity with me and your knowledge of the background has just gone straight out the window if that's what you think. <laughs> successful chapter. <laughs> <laughs> So the nail quaffing contests, maybe. <laughs> is there any other worthy contest? Well, <laughs> maybe that's the point. Actually, is the point? Is the point? And so, yes, yeah, so it's not a, it's not a great of interest to talk about those things because it is just a big batch, and it will probably take me until next episode to finish those. 
Um, but the next thing on the table is going to be um, the Indomitus box, without doubt. And the Space Moons in that are going to be Exorcists, <clears throat> and they're going to form my my contribution to the Obscura campaign alongside my sister's avowal. Um, and they're going to be running around beating heretics. <laughs> so watch out, Damien. <laughs> Dorian. 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 Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, some poor civilian called Damien is about to... <laughs> <laughs> See, it's just part of the Inquisition strategy, isn't it? <laughs> well, Dan and I went through all of the uh, Inquisitor's... Um, Orders the other day, and, and we actually, <laughs> it's ridiculous. There is literally inquisitorial orders whose job is to monitor other inquisitorial orders. <laughs> and there's, there was my favorite, but there was one whose job was to um, clarify and sort of research and, and tidy up the history of the Imperium. So to stop all this kind of mythology and, and double guessing. And then there was another order whose job was to make the history of the Imperium more <laughs> obscure, more hidden, and more difficult to determine. And you can imagine them going around in circles for 10,000 years, cleaning up each other's mess. And I thought that was absolutely brilliant. <laughs> yeah, that, that's my contribution to the hobby, this. And you, and you're, you are on to batch... Well, I think I was reflecting. I'm pretty sure Chris might. Chris, have you managed to listen to episode 55? No, sorry. Not completely. Whoa. I know. know. (laughs) Well, in that case, you really don't know. I can't remember where I was on the hobby desk uh, last episode because this feels like it's been in my life forever. um, This latest batch. (laughs) But I, yeah, I'm just, I'm literally now just going through tidying the odd bit up. So all the base coat colours are on. I'm just checking on... I've done it for the red and the bone. So I'm just going through, checking the metals, gold and silver, to make sure that if there's any bits that I've not done or um, yeah. that I've got something on. Because especially when you're doing a batch, uh, like base coating is important anyway, but with a batch, you've just got to make sure the base coat... It can be really tempting just to go, ah, and just throw all the washes on at this point. But it, if if it's a mess now, it'll be a mess when you've put a wash on it. Yeah, it'll hide harder to mend. Not everything, yeah, yeah. So, but I've got two weeks really because Indomitus is coming, and I want to paint it. So, <laughs> yeah. I've got two weeks. Chris doesn't know this yet, but I'm quite likely to try and coerce him into painting my Necrons. Oh, that's fine. That's that's uh, that's two cans of spray paint, mate. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's silver followed by slightly lighter silver. If you if you do it right, you can sort of do it with two hands. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I want I want to get done for that. Um, no, no real pearls of wisdom from my hobby desk this month, but I just want to get it done. Mm. I actually, I say there's no pearls of wisdom. There are a couple things. So. Don't 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 do this, <laughs> mad batch. Like I, I think what I've found this time round is I have gone too diverse and too many big things 
as well as so so essentially i've got terminators which are an elite unit with more detail on bikers where each one is essentially two models and then i've got four characters and four vehicles as it were yeah it's just too much the trim i well it nearly killed me it nearly killed I, me. I think that's an important important bit of wisdom actually is that when you're when you're doing a batch, there has to be some some degree of uniformity across it, uh, so that you can get into a rhythm. Otherwise, it will break you. Yeah. Um, break you. Yeah, and what I found has been that because of that, my motivation has lagged. And as you know, Ben, because we talk and paint, I, I basically will pick up the brush, do a bit on one model, then have a look at my phone lean back, have a stare at the ceiling, see if there's anything interesting out the window, get a drink. Yeah, read a book. You know, read a book. Yeah, Somebody um, mentioned something and I'm like, yep, yep, I'll go and find the codex and have a look for that. <laughs> and, and essentially everything just takes bloody ages. <laughs> so, so yeah. Um, and, and other exciting things, I spent a bunch of money on some more really useful boxes to organise my hobby desk again. Oh, brilliant. Very exciting. Brilliant. I do love it. I suppose what you have to think, Dan, is you're climbing Everest. You know, if those of us who sort of paint one model, move on to that, we're just hump, jumping over little like mounds, aren't we? But you're, you're, when you get to the top and you see the view of your incredible corn army with all of its red and gold, it's going to be amazing, isn't it? Oh, I am excited. You know, I'm at that point. Well, once I wash it, I'm over the I'm over the kind of the last big challenge then really. And no, 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 no. It's the skulls that are always <laughs> you always do this. You always wash it and you say, "Oh, that's it. That's all done now." And then, like in a week's time, you're like, "I don't want to paint another skull." Interestingly, I thought for a, for a laugh, I would work out because we were saying like our initial obscura forces needed to which should be around 50 power yeah <laughs> my batch is 89 power wow one batch <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> so should we talk should we talk about before we just finish the hobby list i have no idea how long we've been talking because we're not recording how we normally do and i can't see how long i'm eating no i tried to work it out as well and i don't click any buttons <laughs> yeah so um <laughs> there's a couple of the couple of paints coming out with a new release, and I'm particularly excited about um, one of them, which is the the, the kind of I forgot what it's called now. Like Necron glow, is it? Tesseract glow, yeah, Tesseract glow. So this is a a paint that I'm assuming is going to be to help people do a green OSL kind of glowing look. Um, how it achieves that, I've, we've not seen any videos yet, so. Um, or at least I haven't noticed that we've seen any videos yet. Um, so I have, I've, I've bought that product today. Um, I actually bought the Necron Metals because I like like that kind of rusty, sort of ready, bronzy metal that they've done for the new ones. I really like that. So I, I'm likely to use that quite a lot for other things anyway. Um, but I am very interested to see how the Tesseract Glow behaves. I'll be super excited if it actually glows. Like, <laughs> I think I did days. see. Um, so I saw. Where did I see that? I saw a tutorial 
done by a games workshop so it wasn't it wasn't like the hobby team it was it was just a games workshop um and the way they had used it was uh essentially they had got like wraith bone yeah and painted where they're going to put the glow and then almost like done a bit of a dry brush around the area again of the wraith bone and yeah. then put the glow over the top oh, okay yeah that's how i suspected it would work so it's, it's like a bright very bright contrast paint yeah well i'd be interested to know is how is it different to the hex wraith flame that's exactly what i said that's exactly what i said so what how is it different from that it's virtually the same color so um i'd be very interested to see what the difference is i would like to see i've i've um unsurprisingly ordered them all um (laughs) and uh i because i my the one i'm most interested in is cryptek armor shade yeah and and I also, I wonder if they will do. I thought I saw, and maybe it must have been a Photoshop. It must have been, but I thought I saw a, a spray can of Rune Lord brass somewhere, because <clears throat> um, that would be good. Um, that would make my my painting of the Necron army infinitesimally quicker. Yeah, um, yeah. Basically. Um, to end on the madness of me, I, I spent yesterday evening painting and talking to uh, Ben Chambers uh, and came to the conclusion at the end of our conversation to be really sensible um, and just order the box set because uh, I didn't really need the other bits. And then this morning I woke up and was so excited I just ordered everything. <laughs> uh, so uh apart from the battlefield which i haven't ordered at, at yet well sold out everywhere i've seen battlefield obviously, obviously very popular one question yeah. i had it, I, this is only because i might have missed it but the the wash for the necrons i could only find it in gloss is is there mm. was there a normal version anywhere or did i miss no so it was just in gloss yeah I'm just inter- it's just what i was interested in the I, saw, I think there is a spray, a new spray coming out, but like on the 25th of July. So it's later than the Indomitus release. Mm. But I, interestingly, the, the article I read that on has disappeared from Warhammer community. So I read it earlier today, which, and the article was about the pre-order going live. And now that doesn't appear to be on Warhammer community, presumably because they've sold out of Indomitus. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I think Indomitus broke every website in the wargaming community, just, mm. essentially. So, <laughs> by the sound of it. So there we go. Um, should we move on to 40k now so we can actually talk about 40k itself um, rather than the hobby surrounding it? That's the thing. Yes. If there, is a dif- if there is a difference. Or do we just artificially segment our podcast? Mm. Awkward silence. Awkward silence. Refreshments, anyway. <laughs> um, I'm going to stop recording this wondrous example of uh, social media, and uh, and we're going to go and kind of try and work out how to segment up this on Zoom, and hopefully come back to you without deleting it all. listeners ben stop swearing at me just because we're using video it's bad enough i have to look at you you don't need to swear at me do you 
outrageous so guys welcome to the grim darkness of listening to ben um and uh, <laughs> it is great that you've made it into this section thank you um and apparently something is going on in the uh, 41st millennium at the moment uh, some new release i'm told so we thought we'd discuss that so um yeah ben chris chris let's go to chris because he's not getting the box not because he missed out on it but because he, he's not getting it which is fine. He's still a, a you know a valid human being, um, but <laughs> he's not getting the box. So, um, Chris, new 40k. You know you've not played 40k for quite a little while, um, and as you said in the hobby desk, you'd kind of like moved away from it uh, and then been dragged back narratively. So, what what are you most excited about about ninth edition, or are you um, just not really bothered and you're just like I'm going to play with my toys? <laughs> I don't see a great deal of difference for somebody like me between 8th edition and 9th edition in terms of things like the rule set. I feel like 9th edition is the answer to the competitive scene um, who were playing 8th edition and were like, they're all the, you know, thanks for innovating our, our uh, way of playing with our toy soldiers. This new rule set's great, but there's all these things that need sorting out. And they were, they were big enough that it warranted a new edition, um, I think. So in that regard... Uh, you know, the, the, things like the new terrain rules and stuff and um, and the changes to morale are kind of, yeah, it's interesting, but it's not, but it's not exciting me. Um, what is exciting me is the continuing narrative, you know, because it, being somebody who's played 40K for umpteen years or certainly been involved in the 41st millennium and followed it uh, since the early 90s, I, the fact that Games Workshop have now, like, you know, taking it forwards hundreds of years at a time, um, is fascinating. You know, I, I love that now we've got, and that's the other, that's the other thing that's really exciting about it is we have a box set with um, Necrons as the adversaries in, you know, Necrons are now suddenly thrust onto the scene uh, like never before. And um, all those uh, psychic awakening stories that were leading up to this have been really uh, tantalizing and interesting. And, um, and now we're learning all about this whole new sector of space that, um, the, the Indomitus fleet has entered and, the, and the, the, you know, the, they've been sort of hinting at the Necron's great plan to sort out the galaxy and the Silent King has returned. You know, that, that's fantastic. It, for, it's felt for a long time like it's been chaos, 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 and then a little bit more chaos. And now we've got, you know, huge focus on a Xenos race. And I remember when now I Now saw... we've been let down. Our solid <laughs> chaos players. Hey, yeah, you've been abandoned. Yeah, I mean, you how got, dare they keep got, the Space Marines? <laughs> you've got Abaddon, so you can't complain about that because, you know, you've been using the armless version for a long time, I think. But it's it's not like you've not had any releases for Chaos. No. <laughs> um, Being uh, as so I'm painting about yeah. half of them in one go at the moment, <laughs> I can't say anything. <laughs> so yeah, the the continuing narrative is really exciting. The Necron models are just superb, and. I won't collect a Necron army, but I will get some of those Necrons because they will feature in all sorts of bits and pieces. They will be scenery and they will appear on bases and they will uh, get given their own special narrative rules as to how they somehow feature into the games and the armies that I have gotten because they're just wonderful. That great big tripod thing that conjures images yeah, of... Oh, the War of the Worlds, dude. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's wonderful. And I really love the way they've taken that. Um, and, you know, that Silent King model is just out of this world. I, when I saw the, that leaked image, which Games Workshop subsequently published on the Warhammer community site of the whole army arrayed, um, and I think they'd marked it up with a sort of guesswork as to what everything was, and it had the Catan in the middle, and, it, and I thought, oh, this is just, it's, you know, for a long time, pe people are, I think, inclined to moan 
about the uh, the absence of Xenos releases in favour of Space Marines and whatnot. But I don't, I can't remember the last time um, a Xenos army got that kind of level of new releases, and it just looks really. I think exciting. probably the last time would have been when the Dark Eldar were re yeah redone, yes. and it was yeah. a complete complete range review i think that Um, must have been a while ago yeah and the other thing i'm excited about is the space marines so space marines haven't really sort of i mean i love space marines they're kind of quintessentially 40k but as sort of a thing to paint or a thing to build or a thing to collect it hasn't really um excited me for a long time but and i and i particularly felt that with the primaris release so the new primaris marines that were coming out are beautiful beautiful models um but they were very kind of they almost had sort of a modern military aesthetic they were very um plain they weren't particularly adorned with the skulls and the wreaths and the uh the those sort of more kind of dark um uh grim dark kind of aesthetics. yeah exactly and and that's i thought that was very true of the what the sniper ones and all all of that lot i can't remember what they're called um but the Phobos, the uh, yeah the yeah the Phobos or, ones yeah. they all look like sort of they've got a very uh, you know, almost like a modern military aesthetic. Um, but these new ones, these, the, particularly the Blade Guard veterans and that new captain, um, and even the new uh, intercessor lieutenant, um, or is it lieutenant? Um, they, they've got, you know, that chap's got a uh, full relic um, skeleton on his shield. And yeah. they, they just, <laughs> I think they really do sort of harken back to that kind of grim, dark, uh, we're holy knights and we will we wear impractical things on our armor because it, we have faith in our emperor and all that kind of stuff and i i think that looks great and i'm really pleased to see the primaris range going that way um and i think it's good that it that all of it's available you know if you want to build a kind of a modern militaristic force of space marines that mm. look like they've been like like somebody's actually designed their hardware and whatnot to fight a war as opposed to sort of look amazing then you can do that you know you can build the what's the phobos walk called the the, the phobos dreadnought that they that that thing looks like it's straight out of um, terminator or something and uh, but but equally now you know the 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 new space marines that are coming out have got that grim dark aesthetic and i love that i'm really really pleased to see that in indomitus i think that's great I was showing Harriet what I had bought today earlier because I thought I might as well own up now. And um, <laughs> uh, I was showing her pictures of, uh, of the models in Indomitus and she went, um, are there any nice ones like with no skulls on? And I was like, mm, no, <laughs> there, there will not. There will not be any with no skulls on, I'm afraid. Um, I, I'm actually. A, I, I've got quite a different perspective on this, I suppose, from a lot of people, because um, well, maybe I don't, but I've put together a, a number of Space Marine armies, um, significant number of Space Marine armies. And one of the things that I found um, that's very easy to do is get overexcited with the massive selection of Astartes pieces and over Grimdark, over Decorate, over Gothic, a basic trooper to the point where you struggle to make the sergeant look different. And then to make your company veterans look different from your sergeants. And then to make sometimes even the captain stand out um, from everybody else. Um, So I was really, really pleased to see the clean Primaris aesthetic. And I'm very glad that they've kept that with the chainsaw dudes. Um, Because it gives you somewhere to go. 
actually it's it's much much harder to strip that crap off than it is to add it on mm, um, yes. and with basic troopers it's not difficult to um you know to take bits from here there and everywhere and govern them up you know the 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 space cream models are designed to do that so with a few swanky shoulder pads all of a sudden your you know your sergeant looks significantly better um but i think you're right to have those those elite models, the ones that have been around for a while, that are embodying the chapter's sort of ancient traditions, covered in all of that stuff, is really cool. It's really cool. Um, and like I said, my only actual issue, I've said this in the last podcast with them, is that, you know, those, those chapter traditions are very important. The aesthetic of a chapter is very, very important. Um, and I cannot see... And there's not that many, I suppose, but there's a couple of chapters where those Blade Guard veterans don't they don't fit the aesthetic of a um and I suppose for me the obvious one is Space Wolf. You know, they look fantastic. It's why I'm doing them as exorcists, because I just cannot see that the Blade Guard veterans would look like a Space Wolf. They they look like a Black Templar, they look like a Imperial you know, Imperial Fist or whatever. And in fact, maybe even not, I mean, le- less armor than the perhaps the Imperial Fist would like. But a Space Wolf Blade Guard veteran is going to look like um, you know, the, the quintessential techno barbarian. There's gonna be there's gonna be fur involved, there's gonna be wolf skulls involved, there's gonna be all of those things that you see on all of my basic basic space wolves and not a present on a model like that. It does make it a little bit awkward. So the next thing I would personally like to see is chapter specific models built from the ground up you know like the space wolf box set like the blood angels box set so you can get a primaris chest and put on a space wolf chest and then when you've got those bits to use yeah then then this primaris range is going to become really really exciting um but it's this is a great step in the right direction i agree with you um but we what is so cool about the primaris range um is that they've got all these different suits of armor and equipment and that you can almost have one of everything for all of those things. So I don't think they're going to run out of ideas anytime soon. I really, really don't. I'm quite excited by, um, by the crusade system. Oh, the, yeah. the narrative system. Hands up. Who bought the crusade book? Me. <laughs> well, I always <laughs> buy all that stuff. Don't I say, so why not? So I can keep track of my crusading army. <laughs> I think that's a wonderful addition to narrative. I think the idea that your army grows and, you know, your lord, your, your lord might have started off as a scout at one point and has just, like, beefcaked his way all the way through to becoming a Primaris captain. I just love it. Yeah. Um, I really... I, it's interesting. I think what has happened over the sort of years, so probably since the Age of Sigmar was born, um, and the attitude has been to try and write down and give as much credence to all the different options and, and ways to play as Games Workshop say them that, that people can do things to almost make things official so that people fe- feel okay to do it. Because actually, um, and Chris and I have talked about this a lot because he does this all the time, but you can, a rule set is just a framework. Um, yeah. Now, the latest ninth edition is a hell of a framework. You know, we, <laughs> some of those uh, paragraphs of rules writing are just insane, um, and they are they are quite clearly written 
with uh, you know top tier competitive people who don't know each other in mind and there's nothing wrong with that um but like the terrain for me now i haven't played with it yet uh, and so i might find i actually really like it but the first thing i thought when i read that is i just want to do line of sight i i would just house rule that or make it up um and i think i think what what games which were doing by having narrative and open and giving them lots of time is saying actually that is fine as well it's your hobby enjoy it how you want to enjoy it yeah um and yeah. things like the crusade system just support that as well because there will be people that do that you know chris and i we, when we when we played inquisitor um <laughs> we uh we you know chris just wrote that narrative didn't you and we just played through mm. it over a few nights and okay you 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 went very extreme and made the whole game system um but it was very 40k it was all the 40k models it was all you know well the only reason that 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 had its own rule system was was because i was lucky enough to find a copy of the dark imperium playing cards with the john blanche illustrations on Mm. and i opened them and i was like well i can't use these for poker you know they've got Mm. to have a purpose they've got to appear in a game somehow and 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 you don't need playing cards to play 40k or kill team or necromunda or anything so i just sort of went down a rabbit hole of you know an activation system that had you drawing cards and playing cards and that kind of thing and um and then just hoovered up a bunch of ideas I'd had elsewhere and seen in other places. And, uh, uh, yeah, but, so, but that was born out of the, the most 40K thing you can get, which is John Blanche's illustrations. I, I, Joe got me that deck of cards when they were no longer on sale. I dread to think how much he paid for them. I really do. Um, and then they released them for Christmas. And I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, <laughs> I think I got them. Did you get Did I get them? I don't know. I thought, I think I got them. Um, I think uh, I'm really excited to read the rule book and apparently it's going to be a really good way to bring you up to speed with everything that's been going on because at the moment it's quite, it's, there's quite a lot of it all over the place. And I bought Indomitus the novel because I need to read something because I listen to everything. I'm going to stop knowing how to read in a minute. Um, so I thought I'd get the novel. And also I bought the one, was it Dark Imperium that came out with the Dark Imperium box? Mm. Really enjoyed that. So I bought that to get up to date. Um, can't, can't wait to get hold of it, really, uh, and have a, have a leaf through. I think what's quite exciting is how much interest there is in, in it. There's so much love, 40K, and people wanting to play 40K. It's incredible. And that's where I think it is a shame for all I completely get GW's model of, of you know, being careful and not, not over uh, committing on something with regards to stocking. But the people that genuinely missed out and are disappointed, I think that's a shame. Um, interestingly, I've just been looking up some stuff and one of the big retailers um, who had a bit of a problem today, uh, not of their own making, but they've said that uh, their initial order was 300 copies and Games Watch was committed that they will get a second wave, which will be 380 copies. So there's definitely more to come mm. um, as opposed to it, it just being this one sort of wave of boxes, I suppose. The amount of abuse that people are willing to throw out and, you know, there's, I've just noticed at least two companies who have posted messages saying that, you know, 
he's sending us emails that are abusive and threatening and blackmailing is, is not on. And it just upsets me a little bit that, that, that there is always going to be, I suppose, a, a section of people that are going to be like that. But what I would say is, yes, it's not, I'm not, not condoning that behaviour. It's not acceptable. But the hobby is entirely emotion. It's it driven is by emotion. It is. Um, we do it because it elicits emotive response. So, so people do get emotional. And I think added to that, and again, I suppose you've got to remember that Facebook and, and the internet is just a snapshot yeah. of the yeah. hobby, of the community. Looking uh, for somewhere to vent. Yeah. And, and also, like, um, I've completely forgotten my train of thought. Not unusual. Completely gone. That I, is wanted, ridiculous. I wanted to say something which segues nicely into this, which is that in Domitus, it's it is very sad for you know that some people won't be able to get hold of their copies. And I have visions of twelve-year-olds and whatnot who who sort of have been very much looking forward to it and are now going to really struggle to find one. But what's really exciting, that's possibly even more exciting than a limited edition launch box, is what comes next. So when with eighth edition, we got something we'd never had before, really from games workshop for 40k which was like that first strike box set um mm. which you could get you know get, get started in the hobby for 25 quid i think and and the slightly larger one i can't remember what that's called and so i'm very keen to see what what the, the get you into the hobby products look like for ninth edition you know because mm. presumably there'll be space marines and necrons but i'll be surprised if they're you know, your stock intercessors that uh, that you get yeah, at the moment. Yeah. And, and It'll be different versions of the box set, won't it? Mm, yeah, I expect so. So, um, And we haven't actually seen the starters box. No, that's true. No. We haven't seen it. And, and you know, it's always worth remembering that this this one is just a launch box. And I, the, fact that, the fact that it's limited edition, I think, is a bit disappointing in some ways. But, um, you know, that... that I guess, though, the good part is that none of the stuff in there is truly Not, limited. Yeah. It's, it's all coming good. out separately at some point. The, yeah. thing, the point I was going to make was to talk was to say that people get very emotive about individuals buying up multiple copies to split them and make a profit. Um, that that's what I was going to say. That's what you see a lot of frustration about. Um, Understandably, actually, as I feel because it it, it must be very painful. If uh, you know, if you haven't got your copy because the bank has cancelled your order or some horrendous thing like that, and then to see them on eBay for two hundred and fifty quid, you, oof. Yeah, it's a I shame find... that they didn't limit them to one a person. I guess yeah. the only thing about that is, like, if you were at work and you asked your mate to get you one, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. So, um. The other stuff that's come out with it is very interesting. Um, we've talked about some of it. So the Crusade book is very cool. Um, what do you make of this sort of interim chapter approved? Uh, well, <laughs> it's funny. They've always got good stuff in. Uh, and I told, I said to, this is one of the products I said to Ben Chambers I wasn't going to pick up because I've got the last two or three and uh and i've i've not really used them at all um <laughs> in, in all honesty uh obviously it's got the points updates in it um i can't not get them because if yeah i, get, I mean if i, I, I clearly them, then i'd end clearly up 2017 2018 2019 
2021 and then my brain would go what what had happened how did that happen can you not count ben <laughs> yeah, but that's the, this is the trouble though <laughs> and this is how they get us and this is why chris is wise to resist because for example uh psychic awakening i bought the first one and that was it it didn't matter how many of those they made I was going to buy them all <laughs> because I had to get the collection and they made nine of them, you know, but they are beautiful. They look lovely on the shelf where they will probably stay for most of the time. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's good that they've, they've split it up so that you've got the like rawsy bit, the, the points bit yeah. separately. Um, yeah, well, they did that with the, well, they did that with the, uh, the last Sigma. one. Did, did they uh, do it with, with Age yeah. of Sigma? Yeah, 2019 for both of them. Yeah. Um, I, the 2020 um, Age of Sigma one, General's Handbook, we're going to talk about in the next section. Yeah. Um, combat gauge is five inches. Yeah. I, do you know what? I was like, what? Am I, <laughs> the Space Marines move five inches now? No. no. That's not the yeah. case, is it? No. No. So I can't quite understand why it's not six inches. No, I can't. I can't. I just, I just don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> I do find them useful. Um, oh, I use I I use the um, I use them all the time. I, ever mm. since I got the, the got them for um, uh, malign portents, mm. I've used I've used it ever oh, since. Oh yeah, yeah. To be honest, I bought one from a, a, a some other company. I don't know the, the pro, pro something with P. I can't remember. That's not very good. But anyway, um, for Age of Sigma. And it because it, and it's nine inches, would you believe? Um, and uh, it that's very useful because the nine inches thing is is how far when you set up, you've got to be away. Yeah. And as I like my janky shenanigans, um, that's quite useful. Uh, so we did get that. Um, did you get the combat gauge? I did. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I did yeah, get the combat gauge. It's very pretty and shiny, and I thought. I don't did have enough get... combat gauges. I must have at least six, so I need another one. So, did you get? Did you get the open war cards? I did. I think they're great open war cards. I've always have. So I got them for the first the first forty k set that came out. I've, in fact, I use them almost as every time I play forty k. Um, I didn't ever, for some reason, twig that they were supposed to be used for open play even though they say open war cards on the packet. But then I'm the guy who watched the whole of Nightfall and didn't realise it was about the fall of the Knights Templar until the Knights Templar actually <laughs> fell apart in the second season. Like, oh, that's what this is about. <laughs> oh, it's in the name. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. There we go. So Obscura. Should talk a bit about Obscura? Yes. So as we, we've... Um, We've mentioned in the hobby desk, Obscura is our is our um, multiple player narrative campaign, um, where we're going to be starting uh, small and growing growing it as a collection of, of gamers, each adding our own talents and um, areas of expertise and ideas, and it's turned into. I'm really excited about where it's gone. You know, the the Obscura chat is just filled with quite often with ideas about where people are going, what they're doing, basing ideas, army colour ideas. And I've not seen everyone. I've never had it. Even when I was running Games Workshops campaigns, 
you know, well, we've come up with a campaign and people would, so many people would be excited about it. So to actually do it and have so many people building armies for it is really, is really awesome. Um, and the idea is we're going to build scenery together and then come together, particularly for this once a year um, to play through, play through the story. Um, and the story at the moment is that Obscura is a planet that was um, fundamental, key, or had some importance um, in the age before the Imperium. Um, and for whatever reason, warp storms have basically kept it separate and um, uh, cut off from the rest of rest of space. And without any understanding of why the Imperium have managed to pick up a number of signals from there that contain um, very, very old human transmissions that we've sent into space um, and a, just a simple message that we are here. And a, the hook is that actually it appears from the augers and the, 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 you know, the, the scans that it is a route through between Imperium Nihilus and Imperium Actual. So um, it could it could well be a, a, a route through, but no one really knows anything about it. So the first part of the scenario is going to be about the players coming to Obscura um, and finding out what on earth is going on there. Um, who's sending the transmissions, whether anyone is sending the transmissions. Maybe a random computer just decided to boot up and start <laughs> spilling things out. No one knows. Um, and... I haven't really worked it out either yet, so <laughs> it's just those things are to come. That's cool because we can write that as we play. That's that's kind of a lot of how I want to do it. Is that the the scenario develops not only the the actual narrative develops, but you know the hooks, the things that I'm using to pull people forward are, are developing with it too. Um, and it could well come out of something that a player has said or an idea that's come, you know, out, out of their armies and. It, it's um, it's something that I'm really hoping that will sort of pull our collections forwards in a sort of nice, you know, slow but gentle way. That we we've got a goal and we work, you know, we can work forward, work towards it every year. Um, because sometimes it can feel a little bit like you just create a 40k army just for the sake of creating a 40k army, um, or any hobby really. Any part of the hobby. So, what's wrong with that? <laughs> well, no, there's nothing. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But actually, sometimes it's. I think it's nice to have a bit of inspiration, a bit of like a, a an end point. This is where I'm aiming for. Um, oh yeah, that, that always pulls me forward, doesn't it? Whenever I've got a project in mind, if I've got something that I'm aiming for to do it, my most successful project by far in the last couple of years was Malign Importance because there was, you know, the, that that monthly competition. Um, and I got got an Age of Sigmar. It was my first fantasy painted army that I ever finished. I've collected many, many fantasy armies, <laughs> and none of them have been finished. <laughs> but the but the Iron Doors have. Um, so that's kind of where it came from. Um, yeah. So we're going to be using the hashtag Obscure Campaign, hashtag Obscure Campaign, um, to link in all of us um, what we've been getting up to for it and obviously at the moment it's just a bit thin on the floor because just only just started <clears throat> I, I i really don't pay attention do i to anything i didn't know that 
No, we're all shaking our uh, heads here. <laughs> um, I didn't know that. I didn't know anything about these random signals saying we are here. I don't remember seeing anything about that. I didn't whole, know until I didn't know until you prison. mentioned it in passing the other day that it was patrols. I <laughs> that's just awful. Mind you, in my defence, I don't think Ben knew it was patrols, so he obviously wasn't paying attention either. No, but I I didn't. And I Ross think, clearly doesn't. I don't think it made, it, based on what he's built explicitly clear actually because. The way I, I don't think everyone is entirely used to maybe playing through a narrative campaign, but I wanted people to approach Obscura with an army that they would approach Obscura with. So, to start with, that is going to be comprising of the forces that you're sending out to explore whatever it is you come across when you enter orbit. Um, now, actually, for for Ross and and um, Tom, who are playing Blood Angels and Corn, Tom is going for a, like a, basically an aggressor army, <laughs> and and Ross has gone for a, a you know a hard hitting assault army. So those two forces are likely to come to a planet and just go, <laughs> just drop a massive force on and and create an area of, of dominance. If... So um, we know what Chris is doing. Um, see, I, I, what I was meant to say in, in the hobby desk, Chris said something in the hobby desk about, um, you know, not getting to a 2000 point army. I'm going to wait and see. I'm going to take that little moment out of the podcast and save it somewhere, Chris, because this is what you've done with your excitement in this small period of time. You know, yes, but. But you see, my, that enthusiasm, it burns short. It burns brightly, but it burns very quickly. And, and I, I've really enjoyed, really, really enjoyed building this like small 50-power force. Um, but I can, see an, I can see a finish line for it. Like, I'm not yeah. going to continue to add troops. I, I, I built, I think, two or three squads of the, um, the Praetor forces, which are the, 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 um, the Necromunda enforcers. And... I've I've given them each like a transport so that, that you know they they're quite happy in my mind. I've I've got um, a command platform. You know, there's there's um, the Inquisitor to lead them and an accompanying uh, first minister. You know, equivalent of a captain. There's the Catan, which is sort of your wild card, very strange element. And then there are the Arcuri, which I came up with quite recently because I really wanted to create something using heretical. the uh, so, sorry something heretical heretical. Well. <laughs> I would, I, I, I love, I, I think that, you know, how do they describe 40k in Games Workshop Inner Circles? It's science fantasy, isn't it? And I love that aspect of it. That's why my army's got a Catan in it. But I also wanted to have something a bit more, I, I'd, I'd done a lot of sort of military vehicles and military looking troops, and I wanted a bit more of the fantasy, mm. less of the science fiction. So I, I wanted to create these. And I've always, I love the, the Ideneth Reaver heads, you know, those blind elves. I think they're wonderful models, um, but I've never had any reason to have any Ideneth elves. And I thought, I've always thought for a long time that those heads would look good on a variety of other bodies. So I took the Vansar and I, um, the Vansar bodies, and I stuck the Ideneth heads on top, and I'm really pleased. And so now they've got, I've got these Eldar human hybrids um, as a squad as well. And, and that just adds a little bit of a dash of uh, heresy, heresy and <laughs> heresy and, uh, and sci fi fantasy, in which I'm really pleased with. But I can't see it going 
much beyond that. I'm not inclined to add lots of vehicles. You know, there's supposed to be a, a, a small insurgency, you know, counterinsurgency type of force um, with a few sort of crazy elements in. I, you know, I, I, it's not like collecting a whole army, but that's what I find very exciting about this campaign is that, you know, round one might be uh, arrive on Obscura, 50 power, you know, give or take, play through the narrative scenarios. Maybe the Inquisitor dies. Maybe his entire force is wiped out. Maybe, maybe he's declared excommunicate traitorous and hounded off the planet. In which case, there's a whole bunch of Dark Eldar models over there I can't wait to get into and start <laughs> experimenting with. And before you know it, I'll have another 50 power force and Dark Eldar mixed with Tyranid DNA or something like that. So, um, uh, yeah, I, 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 that's, well, I, that's that narrative hook that I love so dearly. And, that, uh, and it can just take you down any path you like, really. I think that's, that's very really exciting. And I, I just think I'll be interested to see what happens once we start playing. Uh, and I like the idea you're going to be led by the narrative. And I think an Inquisitor is such a wonderful starting point for a narrative because, you know, they are renowned for being able to call on all sorts of stuff. Um, you know, they can do what, what you've done which is create stuff with their limitless authority but they can equally turn around and say right you space marines you know and they don't need to you know you can build a force of lots of variety with lots of variety um you know so you might they might bring out a squad of space marines that you think is absolutely cracking models and you can fit them in um Mm. battle sisters you can fit them in you know death watch you can fit them in you can fit so much in um and i love that uh that kind yes. of collection i i did something like that when i did my ultramarines a long time ago well a long time ago seven years ago something like that i think now but i had like the ultramarines and then they bought out that big hundred pound box set of cadians um with like one a, a tank and a chimera a, a lehman russ a chimera some cadians and i loved it so I bought that and painted it up and they were part of it. And then Grey Knights, I put, painted a squad of Grey Knights and the captain and they were part of it. And then an, an Imperial Knight came out and they were part of it. And I love that kind of thing that the Imperium's got going where you can add all those elements. I think it's brilliant. Um, I, think, um, I think one of the things that I have pa- haven't perhaps been completely clear on is that the armies that people start with may not be the armies that we end with. Um, when I was, you know, but it's, it's, it's cool to see that people have already come up with that idea themselves. And the, the idea is that at the end, um, there's going to be a huge, a huge end game. Um, a bit like Avengers, big apocalypse style battle with all these forces involved. And though those people with the smaller forces will be running smaller games off to the side that will be achieving objectives that will have a massive impact on the larger table. Um, with this game going on and on that weekend I'm very much of the opinion that it may take a morning to play a turn and then the afternoon to play turn two (laughs) or maybe even day one to set the damn thing up (laughs) and to be honest I am the sort of player that um, gets an awful lot of enjoyment from setting up a battlefield and, and then just not doing anything with it so if all the forces are arrayed on it, I'm, I, I'm quite happy to call in Domino's Pizza and just sit and look at it for the next 48 hours. <laughs> be to be fair, there, are, there have been occasions where we've gone to Warhammer World, certainly on the Sunday, where all I've been capable of is setting up the battlefield and sitting and looking at it. 
Um, but Dude, like, there's just... been part of the Sundays at Bugman's where all you've been capable of is sitting and <laughs> staring at the table. <laughs> I'm most excited about incorporating the other games. So Aeronautica. So yeah, I've already so... said this a few times, but like when um, they eventually release the Arvis shuttle thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't really care whether Chris buys one or not. I'm going to buy one for Chris's Inquisitor because I just think that is amazing. I just love the idea that we could have, you know, uh, and we don't know what models will be done by then and stuff, but Chris's Inquisitor supported by a couple of Valkyries, you know, coming in to land or, or whatever creation Chris comes up with, whether it be the Valkyries or like hybrid Valkyrie orc Tau creations. Um <laughs> And, and and play a game of aeronautica where they are trying to get through and land and, yeah. and it might be that they make it or they get shot down and then we have to play like a kind of a rescue mission yeah. thing going on and you know i know it's like 70 odd quid but maybe we should start a gofundme to get chris one of the uh, the actual <laughs> arvis 40k things because it would just be amazing wouldn't it? It would, it would just it really be would. so good that sort of stuff. I, I love it. And and you could, you know, the the idea that you could get the Valkyries and paint them up in Aeronautica, but then get two Valkyries and paint them up the same in 40k with the little Arvis. Oh my god! <laughs> it would just be so good. It would just be so good. Yeah. So far, the only game I haven't planned to incorporate is Titanicus. Because I, I can't see Titans being there. Yet. Yet. <laughs> but that's the thing, isn't it? And you can really build a narrative and, and add in different... Oh, it's going to be good. So I'm always reluctant a little bit to talk about what I'm going to do because I change my mind all the time. Um, so then I put it into podcast form. And then by the next one, I've just I'm completely doing something different. So I've had quite a few ideas. I really like the idea of doing an Inquisitor who has is going after um, Dorian. Um, so one of the things I thought was do a, a more Puritan Xenos uh, Inquisitor, Ordo Xenos Inquisitor, um, who although yours is Ordo Malice, isn't he? No, it's is unknown. Not, it? no, unknown. It's just okay, unstatus. So, we don't know. Hey, that's Ordo. all right. So do do a Puritan Xenos Inquisitor. Because obviously he's got Catan, which is a bit like, that's not good. And mixing out Eldar and yeah. DNA. And then I, mean, I got really excited because I thought, ooh, I could have Death Watch. Um, but I looked at the Death Watch, and apart from the fact that their rules are strewn across a number of different publications to try and bring them together, oh, the original death watch box the, the the normal marines for want of a better term are amazing but i don't want normal marines now primaris marines but they just don't look quite as good so i think i might have to, had to do some converting for that um but that was one idea anyway um and then i was like well you could do any inquisitor really because a demon hunter would clearly could see the katan as a demon like misinterpret what it is and and go for it and um I'd, well Ordo hereticus would just burn anybody, but especially if they've got psychic powers. So there was all those sort of narrative hooks. So I quite like that. And then, oh, I'm so old. Sorry. I, I, I know I'm, 
I know I just now I said oh, I don't concentrate and I don't because Mike Bennett messaged me and I haven't spoken to Mike Bennett in ages and he's just telling me that his daughter's 14. She's 14, Ben. Yeah, I know. She, yeah. His Mike Bennett was our store manager in Games Workshop. Yeah, there is some level of relevance. Uh, uh, how, how we've got on to Mike Bennett is <laughs> in the middle of that rant about choosing on. Is, is a Danism of the most <laughs> refined order that Molly was basically born when we were walk, working there. So, um, oh, wow, yeah. No, my nephew, who I met when he was three, has just turned 21 today. Um, and he's my wife's uh, um, nephew. And so my nephew by marriage. And I remember playing with him, like with his little pirate ships and things. And him sort of, you know, and now he's 21 and he's like, the best bit is you Got still play with pirate ships. Yeah, I do. I do. I was so excited when I when I could buy my three year old a pirate ship. Um, it's great. Uh, yeah, he doesn't play with pirate ships anymore. So, but just he to might try come and bring back to it. Back, back on to topic, Dan. Well, how you've been distracted into Mike Bennett is beyond me. Um, um, but, um, you were talking about the other options other than Auto Malleus. Yeah. So, so. Um, Right, moving on to the Mortal Realm section because Dan has just uh, completely <laughs> <laughs> crashed and burned. <laughs> well, that's a bit mean, isn't it? Is it? Is, I is was it just bringing down, my thoughts it? together. <laughs> You're horrible to me. Tiny violin. Um, no. So I wanted to do some Space Marines, and I can't decide what Space Marines to do ever because. There's so many awesome ones. Ultramarines are just the kings of awesome because they look fantastic. I really, really love Ultramarines. But I have this big hang-up with Ultramarines with with the crossover between Ye Olde Astartes and Primaris. Um, I, like, I just can't... I still can't quite get in my head the amalgamation. Um, and the thing that, that does it, and I go on and on and on, it's a bit... I could get it completely, except in the rules, they've decided that they basically don't properly interact. So, like, the new ones can't go in the old vehicles. And that yeah. just bugs the flipping hell out of me to the point where I can't collect an army of them. I just yeah. can't do it because it just... Oh, I can't, I can't quite see how the organisation would work. And they've kind of... You know, for, for a long time, a company was 60 tactical, 20 assault, 20 devastator and your command rough, you know, yes, you had other companies. That was the thing that that's kind of sort of rewritten, but I haven't found anywhere where it's written down in statute. Like this is what it's like now, pro pro probably because, you know, Gilliman has looked at the codex and is rewriting it basically for, for the new times. So one way around this is to do Primaris only. Um, so, we were talking about Space Marines the other day and you were just expressing your shock that I don't have a Space Marine army because every time I pick up the Codex, I just get super excited reading like all the little things in it. You do, um, you do. And, you know, talking about the uh, angels meant, of death. and I mentioned oh. the Exorcist to you and you, you came back a, like a couple of days later and told me more about the Exorcist than I knew. Well, <laughs> I looked them up. I was looking... Uh, they are brilliant. They're really ace. Um, so... There's a great, I, Chris, I don't know if I told you this, but there's a great story of the exorcist where they're like fighting this demon. Uh, well, well, basically they go to this place and they think it's like 
it's all chaos all over this system and they work out that it's all being centrally controlled by one like mega demon prince who's got his claws in everybody's mind so they go after it they get there and this demon is just like a flipping nutter and they're they're all piling in and there's stuff dying everywhere and he's like cutting down squads with his blade and in the end this dreadnought um exorcist sort of uh, venerable dreadnought like marches in it's like and whacks him with his claw gets torn asunder by the demon but he, he basically cuts him open enough so that like they can see his heart the demon's heart and then this librarian like flipping spears him with his force spear and banishes him back to the warp and i was just like oh that's so badass um so yeah that's that's what ben's talking about when i got really excited um but anyway my force <laughs> for indomitus um at the moment top of the list is um a chapter called the rift stalkers so they feature in um the space marine codex they've got one of the little box outs with a little bit of writing so they are essentially raven guard with a reversed color scheme so they're white um with they they actually use the raven guard chapter symbol uh in black and they were part of the Ultima founding, so they are pure Primaris, um, Primaris only, and they were created with a mission of patrolling the Cicatrix Maledictum uh, and taking out the bad stuff that came out of it. Now, in truth, that is a ridiculous mission because that goes across the galaxy. But the <laughs> bit that's, um, that ties it in nicely is secondary to slaying stuff they also are charged with constantly looking for ways to uh, link back up with Imperium Nihilus from Imperium Sanctus. So they, if they, so Obscura fits perfectly because they've open, you know, they've they've detected this kind of passage that potentially could lead all the way through. So then they would go and invest. They actually would go and investigate it, um, and. I'm quite excited about taking something where Games Workshop's written very little about them um, and expanding it. Uh, so I, I'm not, <laughs> I may paint the Indomitus box straight away as them, but to be honest, what I really want to do is get more of the Vanguard Space Marines for them, for this thing, uh, for, for Obscura, because they, I, well, that's what I think would go first. And I think like, I just think the models, the Eliminator model. The only thing that stopped me so far is that the the start collecting, which is a really good deal for the Vanguard, it is, and the um, the little scout, I don't know what, what are the scouty Primaris called? There's two names for them, isn't there? Um, there's the ones with like the little bullpup type bolt gun things. Oh. Um, and then the other ones. So anyway, oh, I know those, I'm good at this, um, those are really nice like there's one drop in the smoke grenade isn't there and stuff like they're really yeah, nice yeah, yeah. Yeah. but i think the lieutenant and the eliminators the the ones that you get separate you can get separately are just just a big step further on than those um but obviously you can only get the suppressors in there so i'm a little bit torn as to because the trouble is when that box is 60 quid and a box of three eliminators is 30 pounds <laughs> it's like Ooh, but there's one that's like he's just got his pistol in two hands and his gun on his back in that box set and i'm like oh 
and I want to do like missions where they turn up and there's like an objective in the middle of the table and they've got to sneak in and like snipe people out and then have Reavers like storming out screaming at people but I, I'm not really into space marines <laughs> no <laughs> so you've got the Primaris Incursors um, and then the Primaris Infiltrators yeah I think it's the Infiltrators I think oh and I did spend about sixty pounds on transfers for them. <laughs> Which I I'm hoping is a good indicator that uh, it's actually gonna happen. Uh well what happened was <laughs> I needed I needed the um squad markings. This is the problem, right? This is how my head works, right? So I'm like, right, I might want to do this army, so I will need the transfers for this army. So I go online. And I go to Mighty Brush because he does some nice transfers and he's got the squad markings and their markings are like the outline ones yeah. as opposed to the solid infill like uh, tactical symbols. And yeah. he's got them and he does them in black and he's got one sheet of tactical and I'm like, brilliant, get them. Mm. I'm going to need some of the assault ones, get them. Ah, but then I'll need some of the elite ones, I'll get them. Oh, and some of the Devastator ones. Well, I better get them as well, just in case. Because I don't want to come to the project and not have all of what I need, <laughs> do I? So so I got them. So now I've got that symbol. And I'm like, right, well, that's good. Oh, okay. Oh, I'll have a look at the Forge World Raven Guard sheet. Well, there's a few on there I could use. Yeah, well, I'll get that as well, because, you know, just in case. And I'm like, well, I haven't got any of the symbols. So then I end up talking to some bloke in Japan that um, uh, I'll have to find a link for. But... Um, Luther Mighty Brush said to me because I emailed him to say look can you do the Raven Guard symbol but in black because it usually comes in white and that wouldn't yep. be very good on white um, So, and he said well no go to this guy because he'll probably so I talked to him and he's like yeah I can do you a sheet you know this this by this with all these symbols I'm like right okay well just in case I better have two uh, so I get two of them, and then I'm on his site, and he's got um, he's got runes for Car like Caradron Overlord runes in gold, and it, and I'm like, oh, I need a sheet of them, and then I realise there's two other sheets of them, uh, like different styles, and I'm like, well, it's no good if I've only got like A to A to F of the alphabet, is it? So I need to get the others. So I get one of them and one of them. So before I know it. I just got transfers coming out my ears, and uh, but I'm well prepared. I am well prepared. Any eventuality? You don't. You won't need to paint any models. You can just put stickers on them. I will. Yeah. Well, that's. It's funny you say that because Harriet calls them stickers. I'm glad she doesn't know. Which she, hopefully she won't listen because she. I don't want her to know what I spend on these stickers because it's more than ninety nine p for the packs for Joshua down the docks. So. I've got the transfers I need. I haven't actually got any models yet. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm on on that note, on that bombshell, should should we draw 40k to a close? We probably should, because I've just talked endlessly about space greens and the madness of my mind. It's gonna start breaking people, I think. And and I would like to spend a little bit of time quickly talking to Chris about Drowned Earth.
Hi guys and welcome to the Mortal Realms. Um, we've left Chris behind in a dark and dingy hole for this one because uh, he's had to go to bed or something. Um, but he will be rejoining. No, us. he has been seized by the Inquisition, the <laughs> <laughs> loyal Inquisition, uh, as was firmly been established at this point. Uh, he, he will be rejoining us for the uh, Into the Wild section, but for now we're going to talk about. Um, uh, the Mortal Realms, where we have had a number of cool things happen. Unfortunately, one of them we haven't got access to quite yet um, because it's it's the General's Handbook, but we have a few snippets to talk about um, that. Um, but I have had in the post my Lumineth Realm Lords box, um, which resulted in much, much happiness um, <laughs> <laughs> on my part. And, uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about that because... Um, it's a fantastic box, Dan. It really was. It's it's a lovely box. Um, it's nicely presented. Um, the artwork is is fantastic. And while I think the model count in it is lower than, um, I think I've mentioned this before. If you compare it to the Sisters of Battle, yeah, it's a lot um, lower, isn't it? There's a lot lower model count um, for the same price. Uh, in it, you, you, the quality I think of what what is in it is is better. Um, so the dice are actual Lumineth dice rather than uh, just sort of white normal D6s being passed off as prayer dice for the um, Sisters of Battle. So that was a nice surprise. Um, the little Ujima flip that we were talking about earlier for 40k that I can never remember the name of, the measuring thing. What's that called? The combat gauge. Combat gauge. That's printed perspex. That's really yeah, brilliant. I was impressed by that. Um, and after all those things, was it was it the last podcast we were talking about how I've never bought a special edition book and I don't actually really see the value in them? This, yeah. this, this is very pretty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is very pretty indeed. Yeah. It feels nice. Um, this is my first <laughs> Age of Sigma one. So I'm. Uh, uh, it's got gold edges, which is very, very nice. And that... It's a great book. I I have unfortunately done that typical thing that I do, which is just flick through and look at the pictures to start with without having to... Please don't convert something. me to the limited editions, Ben. No, I won't. Uh, because the um, trouble is as well, with ninth edition just being launched, now would be a wonderful time to start collecting the limited editions for 40k. And then when inevitably the next edition of Age of Sigmar comes along, you can see where I'm going with this. Yeah, I can. Yeah, I can. So um, I think the thing I was most excited about in, in the book is, is the hobby content, really. Um, so they've done what they've done previously with previous rule books, um, codexes, and I'm actually giving you lots of different options, build options, where there's four, um, which are the great nations. Um, that are all slightly different. Oh, uh, and, and that's rules, is it? Sorry. Yep, you get so, rules yeah, for each okay. of them. So, they're so are different. they like? Do they assign that keyword? Yeah. So they have. Um, I don't know if they do that. Assign that keyword. I'm guessing they do because it's similar to be similar to previous books. Yeah. But then you get command ability, command traits, artifacts, and um, an, an ability which just sort of you know goes across the um, the whole army. For example, Sire. Get can start the battle with two Aether Quartz reserves instead of one. Yeah. And Aether, Aether, Aether Quartz is something that they 
um, Lumineth can use to sort of modify abilities in game, which is a really cool mechanic, I think. Um, but actually, it can be detrimental to them. They're moral; they're easier to break morale-wise. Um, so you, you get a payoff. It's a bit that's kind of a an expansion on the Caradron Overlord have Aether Gold. Yes. So they all start with one. Well, there's certain restrictions, but in general, they all start with one and they can spend it to use a triumph. But when they do spend it, having used up their Aether Gold reserve, uh, they're at minus one bravery. Because they get upset. Because they get upset. Unless, of course, they're from um, uh, Barak Urbaz, where they don't suffer that penalty and they get an extra D3 at the start. I don't know who would uh, choose to run with that rule set for their Caradron Overlords. Um, be outrageous, really. Yes. No, you didn't hear what I just said, that. did you? No, I, I didn't. I was distracted by my book. <laughs> well, this might be the first time that's I was going to say, let's just leave it there and document that. That's happened once. <laughs> it's actually remarkably annoying. Is it? Oh, it <laughs> well, imagine that. So my favourite one out of the abilities is is the actual the, the colour that they painted all of the um, heavy metal ones is the uh, I, I'm pronouncing it Eumetrica in light of no one having said it in my earshot, and that's how I've read it. Um, Eumetrica has the Enduring as Rock Battle trait, which changes as a Rend characteristic for an attack that targets a Eumetrica um, Alarath unit in the Mountain Stance to um, basically remove, uh, reduces it to one. So if the weapon has used for that attack as a render characteristic of minus one or minus two instead of only minus one. So um, I find that pretty cool. So it makes them more robust, I think. Um, when elves are typically a bit frail. What I'm really loving is actually the different colour schemes in there, which um, are very un-elf-like, but really refreshing. So they kind of added new colours into orange and Orange and the turquoise ones, fantastic. But, so what um, I want to know is, um, I just saw some of the War Scrolls coming up. Uh, the Stoneheart King, give me some yep. stats. Give me some stats, because I'm excited to know what a giant mountain cow wielding a hammer does, because it's got to be good. Da, da, da. Alaraz, Spirit of the Mountain, or the Stoneheart King. All yeah. right, so... Duh, duh, duh. So what's 14... the wheel? 14... The what? The oh, wheel. Yeah. The wheel. Move 6, save 3+, plus, bravery 10, wounds 14. Um, and its melee weapon is... It's got two fire steeler hammers, or cloven hooves. Um, fire steeler hammers are range 2, 6 attacks, 3+, plus, 3+, plus, minus 1. And Cloven, who's... Damage? Uh, damage on the hammers? A star, so it depends on uh, what it is. So, wound suffered 0 to 3 is 5. <laughs> Six. Six attacks. 3 plus 3 plus minus 1 rend. Damage 5. <laughs> That's fantastic. I don't think I've come across a damage 5 weapon. Ever. No, well, if you're a stone like, cat wielding um, hammers, yeah. apparently that's your thing. Um, the cloven hooves, cloven hooves are two attacks, three plus three plus minus one, two damage. Um, so it's essentially, 
you know, eight eight attacks, three plus three plus minus one, with a varying amount of damage. And what about its abilities down the bottom? Has it got anything cool down there? Uh, if this model does not make a charge move in your charge phase, you can add one to the attack characteristic. If it doesn't um, charge, that's interesting. If the unmodified hit roll from an attack made with the fire stealer hammers is six, that attack inflicts one mortal wound. In addition to any normal damage. Mm, okay. I can't get uh, upset of, about that. I know all about that. At the end of your hero phase, you can pick one friendly Lumineth Railnord's elf hero within six of this model. And if that elf hero is within six at the start of your next hero phase, then you can use a command ability in that turn without spending any command points. I quite like that. Mm. Uh, subtract minus one from hit rolls for any attacks made by enemy models that are within range of this model's Guardian of Heish ability. This, the range of the ability is shown on the damage chain uh, table. So without any wounds, that's 12 inches. Hmm. Have you noticed, sorry to, well, it is relevant, but have you noticed that the war scrolls are not in the app yet for those? No, I did not notice that. I hope that isn't a sign of things to come. Mm. I think the only thing that I'm disappointed in with this book is the end of spells. Um, I normally could get quite excited about end of spell models, but I'm not, not particularly excited about these, to be honest. What you um, should do is just use the, because um, they're really, really good, use the uh, the Slaves to Darkness ones and then just collect a Chaos Army instead. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Come on, they are amazing. That one, Breathing Fire, I've, u- I've seen that used for everything. People mm. just use that for everything. So the models, the models are gorgeous. The only thing that is surprising on here that really took me back is that these are not spears. They are, they're quite clearly um, pikes. They are huge, absolutely huge. Mm. Um, I think I've measured it at 10 centimetres. 10 and a half centimetres in total, their pike is, which is it's ridiculous. Um, definitely not one to put in a carry case without support, I don't think. Um, oh. Sorry. Yeah. Despite experiencing this very thing, I'm just going to continue to do it uh, where I've not listened. So it, I just wanted to provide an update on my earlier comment. Apparently, the reason that the War Scrolls are not in the app is at the moment, this doesn't technically count as the release army release. It's just the box. Okay. Yeah. So there we go. So just throw in my train of thought. The lines, Ho- the, hopefully uh... it'll be that, that'll be the same deal with uh, the 40k app. We've only got the box so far, so we don't get the uh, war scrolls, the <laughs> data sheet. Um, yeah, so the models are very nice. I haven't managed to put them together yet because I'm working on my space walls, but um, they're they're very uh, they're high. They're at the top of my to do list, along with mm. the Sisters of Battle, because they're just they are just gorgeous models. Um, Indomitus is at the top of your to do list. Yeah, those three. Yeah. And I'm not sure I'm going to get anything more this year apart from behemoths. Sorry? I know, army-wise. Big painting projects. You have no idea what is coming out for them. That's just not going to be the case. I'm sorry. I can't can't buy any more because that'll take me to the rest of the year anyway. (laughs) (laughs) That has no bearing here. No. 
Yeah. Um, did, did I send you? I, I'm sure I did, or you sent it to me the the meme of the um, Orange County Choppers guys. Yes. Um, and the like. Uh, I'm going to a miniature sale. You don't need any more miniatures. I want more miniatures. You're paying the ones you've got. I'm buying more miniatures. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's all fun and games until someone throws a chair. <laughs> Not fun in the hobby room. <laughs> no. But I think um, what's cool about the Lumineth is I feel like I can see it being quite a contained army, like the Iron Jaws. Mm. You know, I can see it two units of spearmen, uh, maybe one unit of archers, a couple of the cows. You know, there's a nice there's a nice army in the book, which is a sort of a good sort of I like the look of it, and it doesn't look too much. I'm very tempted to do objective markers just for when I play you, which are just little baskets of hay <laughs> for the cows, just to just random. Um, I think it'll be good in that if you can get that box painted this year, mm. um, I could be proven wrong, but well, no, I doubt it. If there's no there's no units in the book that haven't been seen yet, is there? No, that was from, no. That, for me. That was quite surprising because with the Sisters of Battle release, um, there was lots in the book that hadn't that hadn't been re- seen when they released that box set, mm-hmm. um, the models for. Um, but that everything that everything that's in that book has a model that we have seen. So, um, all I was going to say is, like, if you if you paint, if you can get that box painted soonish. You may just about sneak it in prior to sort of the, the, the true release coming out. Yeah, yeah. And then if you can paint those things, you'll be completely up together with that collection then. So when inevitably that it comes around in a few years and they bring some more stuff out to add into it, yeah, you'll, you'll be in a place to add that straight in. And that I think that would be great. There's something very exciting about when an army is redone um, and you've already got a collection of it ready to give that those changes a go and maybe yeah. add in a couple of new bits. Yeah. Yeah. So that'd yeah, be I good. Agree. I felt like that with the, um, well, I felt like that with the iron jaws when they were getting their re redo. Um, uh, and I got to say, I was quite disappointed that they didn't get any new models. No, I know. And I was surprised they didn't even get any endless spells. Yeah. Because endless spells are really a caricature of the army. Therefore, yeah, and there is no greater army to do a caricature of than orcs. They are a caricature, especially as there's an obvious one. You know, the foot of Gork smacking its way around the table is, would have just been yeah. immense. Yeah, <laughs> it would. Genuinely... It would. Oh, you could do some proper funny stuff as well, couldn't you? Foot of Gork would have been great. Just yeah. a giant foot. Trouble is, though, maybe they looked at that and thought, well, some people will just go and get a mannequin's foot and paint it green <laughs> just use that on the base <laughs> that would work it would it That'd would good. yes maybe yeah no, maybe we'll see them that would be good that'd be cool this they've got to have been done like just going on the basis of the designers often will create stuff that they're excited about or they'll or even like the the if they're not the miniatures designers the concept artists you know somebody yeah. has got to have thought how cool will it be to do a massive green ethereal foot yeah they got to have it's just too cool not to be done especially Uh, as loads of orc players absolutely adore the foot of gork or the the idea of the foot of gork i like the idea of them doing like a visage of like gork or mork 
but like vomiting on somebody as his thing. I think that would be really ace as well. Yeah. Um, well, you just have to look at the Gloom Spike Gits ones. I mean, they are just fantastic, especially when you spend all the time carving out the uh, the legs on the spider. Oh, do you know, I'd forgotten that pain infliction on myself. Oh, but it's done now. It's done. So It was worth it in the end. Oh, it uh, was. Absolutely, it was worth it. So, um, uh, so good. Glad you've got that. Um, and uh, that it's really good quality. Um, so next, next month, I will, I will talk about the contents of the book um, properly. Um, but I haven't, I haven't had time at the moment. <clears throat> yeah, that's fine. Um, General's Handbook, then. So uh, we don't have a copy at the moment um, in our hands, um, but we know some of what's happened. So it'd be quite cool to chat through that. So one of the things that's in there, certainly the thing that Dan. Um, who we were hoping to have on, but uh, unfortunately has to work uh, to buy a general's handbook. Um, needs uh, is the he's really excited about the hero creator. Um, so essentially, a set of everyone, all the races have like a baseline, and then you spend. I can't remember what it's called. And people will be going, oh, damn, that's rubbish. But it, whatever it is, it's something heroicness <laughs> to um, <laughs> to increase or decrease um, different characters. Well, probably not decrease, increase characteristics. Um, yeah. I guess decrease your save roll. I'll save myself with that and give them different abilities and stuff. So, uh, but interestingly, as I understand it, there is a mechanic whereby they can then be ported into match play. Um, oh, that's cool. I'd, I'd assumed when I read about that, that it was narrative. No, I, th I think because they, they can mm. be ascribed points because yeah. um, I sent you one the other day, didn't I? Because Dan was like, Oh my goodness, it's not even out yet. And people are breaking it. And someone had done not barred the bowman. Um, and he had a uh, an fu dragon bow, as it was called, <laughs> and it was like a two plus two plus damage five minus three AP five attacks bow or something that they'd managed to build. Um, but he was like four hundred points, and he was he had a save of five plus and five wounds. Um, so a bit squishy, but he did have a quite a bit bow. Of glass cannon. Yeah, yeah. Well, a glass bow probably. Um, but, uh, so, so that's quite interesting. Um, uh, there will be new scenarios, and I think, I think there's some changes to the way objectives are held in some of the scenarios, mm. uh, which will be interesting. It's always interesting to see, and also the triumphs. Um, there was in matched, so in the core Age of Sigmar mechanic, there are three triumphs in matched play. Previously, there were six. Uh, now there are three again. So they've taken out the extra ones. Um, I can't quite remember which ones they were. I think overall they're not, it's not as big an impact. The main reason I know that is because the Caradron Overlord mechanic that I was talking about earlier um, runs off the Triumph. So you spend the Ether Gold to use a Triumph. Yeah. Um, so, of course, when three of them disappeared, um, the Caradron groups were really chuffed about that. <laughs> so, um, but hey ho, it is what it is. I haven't even got mine out of the boxes yet. So there's no point getting there. Is there by, a, by the time mine are built, it'll be a different different thing entirely. Is there any reason given for why they've taken away those three? Were they too powerful, or I don't know. Um, I, I haven't seen anything. I mean, it may have been in an article that I've I've not read. I, I would surmise that there's a real danger of things being becoming too bloated. 
So, yes. you know, yeah. in the last edition uh, of, I don't know if it's in the main game or in the, in the rule book, but Terrain, for example, went from six different types to 12 different types. Triumphs, three to six, you know, and it, command abilities. We had three generic. Then we had, well, we start with none, I think, no generic. But then we had, oh, no, we had one. We had the don't run away one. And then we had three. And then we had six. Yeah. So, um, you know, it just starts to get a bit much. Yeah, um, yeah. And if you've got too much generic, it can take away from the individual flavor of different armies as well. Yeah. Um, that's just, that is quite literally just my thoughts on it. I've not read that anywhere. Mm. Um, but I think it sounds pretty sensible. It's probably miles from the mark, but it sounds pretty sensible. It, um, it, it sounds good. You made it sound good. Oh, huh. Points like wise, you you're talking about. Yeah, points wise, because there's been so many um, battle tomes that have come out recently. Um, there's quite a number of armies that haven't got any points adjustments within this book, because if you think about it, this book would have been essentially sent to printers some six to nine months ago. And some, really, that long ago? Yeah, I would have thought so. Mm. Because they do work far ahead. Yeah. At the moment, I know that printers are really struggling with the demand. Mm. Um, so well. th some of the books won't have had time for the community to have played with them and given feedback, particularly given that at the moment nobody's been playing with anything. Yeah, well, so, unless you lived with the person who played, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it might even be a little while before we see the FAQ that changes any points. I'm, I love the General's Handbook, you know. I always love the General's Handbook because actually for the large, large part, it generates a lot of excitement in the Age of Sigma community rather than resentment. You know, all those changes are, are I feel, often embraced. Um, yes, generally I must, I would say, agree with that. And I think it's all. It, I always like seeing the buzz about it, like on the, you know, on the on the forums. I wonder if we'll get. I'll be interested to see if we get a new gaming book. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd love to see a new forty k gaming book that wasn't significantly more expensive than the Age of Sigma one for no reason. But. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I mean, the gaming book has scenarios in it, and it also has uh, match play specific rules in it so those things have changed you might imagine there'd be a new gaming book um i would i would be a bit whether there will be because people won't have had as much opportunity to use the current gaming book as maybe normally they would i think there's a danger in that to, to, to my mind because then you've got then you've got two products you'd need to buy. You don't need to buy the gaming book. It's just there for convenience, I suppose. But, you know, they, I, I, tried to, I tried to work out the other day how, mainly because of the 40K app, actually, how much it co would cost to stay relevant in, uh, in a game. So uh, in, in a year that I would expect, looking forward to the next year, what, how much is this game going to cost me? What, what minimum will I need to get to be able to play? And I think General's Handbook is is a must, really, for anyone who wants to play match play particularly. Um, you know, that's 
25 quid. Hmm. If you add into that, you know, it starts to build up is what I'm getting, what I'm getting at. Um, again, yeah, it does. You're right. I, I think again, though, and we've said this many, many times, every game is treated as an individual thing now. Um, yeah. So, you know, it is aimed at the guy that just plays Age of Sigmar. It's, put, it's done with the idea that if you only played Age of Sigmar, um, you would have enough to keep you interested and enough to generate an appropriate amount of income for GW. Unfortunately, yeah. that means that for people like you and I, who pretty much collect everything, every game system, it's very expensive. Just to keep up. Just to keep, keep up, up yeah. with the Joneses. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, that's choice. That is a choice. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to do it. Nobody's I'm a big fan it. of the gaming book as well. I really yeah, am. I loved it, mate. It, it, and again, it's, it is interesting. And I know we touched on this um, in our own conversation, not on the podcast, uh, when we were discussing the app. But it is really interesting that the 40k team and the Age of Sigmar team sit so close together, like literally just right next to each other. Um, they come up with such different... And they have such different things. Product. And, you know, it, it could well be that there's there's obviously something there that they see perhaps that, that we don't, but and maybe a bit of bias. But certainly from my point of view, as a player of Age of Sigmar and a player of 40K, even though it's been a while, the app for Age of Sigmar and the uh, gaming book for Age of Sigmar seem to be much of a, a better offering than their equivalents for 40k. On the caveat, though, that the 40k app actually isn't out yet. So that is just based on that one article from the community team. Yeah, I think it's worth clarifying that some points in that. I think, I think the offering of having the War Scrolls for free because that's, I think that's a very strong offering. Um, but I think the 40k one, having a digital version of your army book for free, once you've bought it, I think that that is a very strong offering too. Oh yeah, um, that's, that's incredible. That is I think really good. What, I, what I'm a bit disappointed about, what, what, let's, let's, let's flip it. I really enjoy browsing the Age of Sigma app. And looking at all the different units and deciding what I'm going to buy next and choosing my army. And I think that actually, that's as much as a catalogue, certainly for a gamer, as me flicking through the Games Workshop website and looking at the models and thinking which ones are the prettiest. Yeah, because definitely. actually, I, I do a bit of both. I, I, I do a bit of both. And I think, well, particularly if I'm looking for a new army, but quite often when I'm looking to expand an army that I've got, I've done it a lot with the Cities of Sigma ones. I've been like reading all the war scrolls and City of Sigma, I was thinking, how am I going to construct my Cities of Sigma using the units I've got, but also with the ones that I haven't? And and I think there's a, I think there's a power to that. And I, you can't play the game with just the war scrolls or, or the or the forty k equivalent. You need the codex too. So I don't I don't think that they're gonna lose out on anything from having those things available. Um so yeah, but uh, the, the one that does surprise me and did surprise me, I mean, it's very telling. I have the gaming book for Age of Sigma. I don't have the one for 40k because I, I just I couldn't justify the price for it. It's the bottom line. 
Um, and I play as much as both. You know, I play which isn't both. very much. Which isn't very much. No, it's not. It's not. I'm the first person to admit that I I I, I prioritise hobby over gaming. You know, I, I do. Um, and unless the gaming is really convenient, I, st- I struggle to find time to fit it in. And I'm hoping when I've got my new hobby shed, which I laid, started to lay the foundations for today, which I'm very excited about. Um, and I've got a gaming table set up all the time. I, I will play more, almost yeah, yeah. certainly, because that, that barrier is taken away. It's more convenient, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so I, I did want to, before we... Uh, move out of the mortal realms. Um, I played a game of Age of Sigma uh, this week gone, um, beginning of this week uh, on Tuesday um, against Mr. Wosley, of course, because we always play Mr. Wosley, and we played um, some mission. I can't remember. <laughs> it didn't matter. Three, <laughs> three, three places of power, I think it was. Um, and and it was great just to get the soldiers back out. And I have to say, mate, I had the biggest grin when I was unpacking my army because so much of what I was putting on the table, I have painted this year and, and got yeah. ready this year. So for the first time, I was able to field all 10 Wrathmongers fully painted and all 10 Skull Reapers fully painted. And that was so good. And, and like, I, I used all recently painted blood reavers you mm. know which which the quality level is just a different level and that was really cool i used the blood first of insensate rage which i painted recently um i was so happy uh, and to be honest like i know i made a big thing about it when they when they did slaves to darkness and essentially made the the war shrine completely like superfluous like it, it really does nothing for my army um because of the keywords and I was really sad because I'd spent ages painting the centerpiece model and I just I didn't even think about it I didn't even think about it because I was just so excited getting all these models out so that was good um it was even better when the blood first went into combat oh my days so uh, <laughs> if, you, if you're thinking that you're about to get a, a, a broken down tactical analysis of the game uh, move by move and you know non-bias that ain't about to happen I can tell you <laughs> <laughs> Because bless Dan, we went in and we had a we we basically lined up for to duke it out over the central objective, and and I'm sorry if you're going to duke it out over an objective with a corn army, you've got to be bloody hard as nails, and uh, I this bloodthirster of insensate rage and Ben, you'll be livid in a minute. You'll be going on about the janky stuff any minute now. <laughs> this bloodthirster, he flew over the top and into combat. Um, he was within range of my banner and he was within range of the Wrathmonger. So he had seven attacks. Um, hit, hit, he gets to reroll when he charges. So he hit with all of them. Um, as you would imagine. And then I rolled to wound and, and anytime you roll a six to wound with him, you, uh, you trigger an ability where he does a number of mortal wounds to any unit within eight inches. Um, and that number depends on how many wounds he'd taken. So he'd taken some. So it wasn't four, but it was three. And it happened twice. And that is instantly wiping out heroes. So that was the general gone, the knight and cantor gone, big <laughs> chunk out of the Bambino uh, Sisters of the Thorn. Um, yeah. Big chunk out of some 
uh, Eternal Guard, chunk out of some, uh, uh, well, they're not Way Watchers, but Shadow Warriors. And that was before I'd even rolled to wound because that all that damage is in addition to. He was like, there was a song came in like a wrecking ball. Yeah. And it was just <laughs> like that. And it just went, <laughs> and poor Dan's face. It was a little bit like my face when your foot of gawk stomped all over my deeds. <laughs> the disbelief of what had just happened. Um, but it was very bloodthirsterish, and And in all likelihood, he, he, it, well, may never get that opportunity again. I doubt I will against Dan because he will shoot that guy so dead. <laughs> he will look like a pincushion. Um, but thank you to Dan, because it was great to play a game. Really good to play a game. Something very magical about setting up an army of fully painted soldiers on a painted yeah. battlefield. Yeah. Um, you, you know, yeah, it's, uh, it was good for the soul. And that was, a, that was a big, wasn't it? Where it was, yeah. They've out... been doing social distancing, so you have to book your tables. Um, you have to remember not to select shipping. So you have to select collect in store because otherwise you have to pay uh, shipping rates. Um, you have to remember to put in the notes what you want to play. I'm only saying this because I got told off for not doing it. Um, <laughs> so, uh, by the lovely Ellen with a wry smile on her face. So, yeah, you just need to make sure you put all the information in and that way they can cater for you, make sure everything's set up. They've got a table for you. They set up the terrain basically to minimise you having to touch stuff. Um, mm. The... The, they've each table's got a chair a, a chair for each player but it's set up behind a checkered line on the floor um which is and, and that chair is two meters back from the far side of the table so the theory being you step up do your stuff sit down yeah. your opponent steps up does his stuff sits down in reality that didn't quite happen because obviously you're rolling hits wounds and then your opponent's rolling their saves um but it, it, they very much are complying with what they need to comply with um, to, yeah. to, to provide you with, you know, the choice, basically. You know, you it's a big, it's a big you game. forced into oh. situation. Sorry, I, I just think it's important to say, like, um, with, with all these gaming venues, I think, realistically, uh, two metres um, or one metre plus is, uh, is going to be challenging. But the fact that they have provided for it, if you are absolutely determined you are staying two metres away from people, they have given you the space to do that. Yeah, I was going to say that the hall is big as well. So, you know, there's lots of, there's lots of room around the table. It's not like you're, you know, under each other's feet. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, um, I think with that, it probably wraps up Mortal Realms for tonight. Um, yeah. But... I don't know whether what's so over the next month we'll see we've got Indomitus in a couple of weeks so whether we'll see any more AOS releases just after that I'm not sure but you never know we've still got the Giants to come at some point um, yep. their, their yep. points have appeared in the handbook so they can't be far away I'm very excited by that mm. getting one yeah, of me them too. just outright getting one of them straight away so. it's certainly on my list to add to my destruction army um, and I think I may end up rolling a dice to choose which one I construct it as because I just love them all. Yeah, yeah they all great. <laughs> What's really nice for me is I know exactly which one I want. No, I might get you to choose for me. Yeah, there's no... There's I can't no decide. Yeah. Should we move on to anyway, the community? Anyway, let's go um, into the community.
your glorious community. Um, guys, I... What's up? What's up? <laughs> anyway, that, that's... Yeah, okay. Um, need to say straight away thank you to you guys, because um, we always do. Uh, but most importantly, this weekend has been an interesting time on social media um, and has disappointed Ben and I um, for, for a number of reasons, um, but made us really proud as well. So um, it's been fantastic to see that the Two Peas Hobby Group has remained a place where people just post cool hobby um, and no one has uh, expressed their disappointment about whether they did or did not get uh, an Indomitus box set um, or what people are up to or what games was done. Not discounting the importance of those things at all. Um, really emotional hobby and can elicit some emotional responses, but it has been great um, to have maintained a state of awesome hobby uh, in the two piece group. So thank you so, so, so much for that. Um, because, uh, that's one of the things we were really keen to have in the group when we set it up. Um, it's a pure hobby where people can go and hobby. Yeah. So I was, I was able to retreat to the comfort of the two piece hobby group, um, and look at some awesomeness, uh, over the weekend. And I've even managed to resolve touch wood, the technical issues, um, by essentially, deleting my presence from anything to do with the two P's uh, on Facebook and starting again. Now, Ben has claimed that me being deleted from the two P's are probably the, just about the same amount of posting. Um, yeah, pretty much. I mean, yeah. So, but I've run out of excuses now because I've fixed it. Um, so yeah. I'll, uh, Who believes him? I don't believe him. Nobody. nobody. No, the thing is though, what I'm saying is I fixed it. So that when I post, it's as the two P's. So nobody will actually know whether it's me no. or you. So I could be no. just as uh, uh, laid back. <laughs> Lame! <laughs> <laughs> as before. So yeah, so thank you for that. So that's, that's a big thank you. Um, so next then, uh, I'm afraid to say, um, Ben and I have a bit of a chip on our shoulder about something. And we, we, we thought, thought about where to talk about it. We thought the community would be a good place. And uh, some of you guys won't agree with what we say and everybody um, is entitled to their opinion. Um, but we wanted to say it anyway, because it, it, it means a lot to us. We're quite passionate about it. And that's the subject of recasting miniatures. Um, so <sighs> recasting miniatures. If you choose, if you believe that recasting miniatures for financial gain is okay, um, our view is it is not. Um, very strongly is not. Um, and if you believe or you kind of justify it to yourself because Games Workshop's massive, um, you know, and they charge extortionate prices, blah, 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 um, for their stuff. I'm, I'm very sorry, but you are, you are kidding yourself. I genuinely believe it as well. You are kidding yourself because it, you are still taking someone's IP uh, it, it, and gaining from that IP in a manner which in this country at least is is considered theft um and that's not acceptable that's not acceptable and if you support people that recast somebody that's chosen to do recasts and make money from it will recast anything so the fact that you can buy a forge world knight for half the money um or you know a squad of forge world marines for half the money etc 
um, might seem great, but some of the smaller companies, so Games Workshop's massive, massive company. Some of the smaller companies have suffered, really suffered. Some have gone out of business because people have recast their miniatures. Uh, and those recasters being financially supported, it's not right. It is not right. Um, and we've just spoken about how positive our, our hobby group is, uh, and we're really proud of that, and that's great. And if you wish to steal someone's IP, we don't want to see them on our hobby group. Um, and you might do it and paint them up, and they might look great, and we wouldn't even know. And well done you. Um, but we're just putting it out there now that both of us are on the same page with this. We feel really strongly about it. We want to say something about it. We absolutely get that it's an expensive hobby. We absolutely get that. And we get that people want stuff. And we get that not everybody's going to agree with Games Workshop's pricing model. Um, you know, we get that 3D printers are coming now. And, you know, it's a free world and all the rest of it. But there are people that were really hard on their IP that, that are getting seriously disadvantaged by by recasting mm. aren't there yeah absolutely. You know, if, if you are genuinely going out to make money from it then I, i'm sorry but i don't agree with that and if you are supporting the process by buying them i don't agree with that either i hope that having congratulated the podcast for being a positive place uh, the group for being a positive place we don't generate a big flame war um some people may not agree with us but I just chatted and chatted and chatted now as I want to do. Um, but that's where we feel on it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So. Let's move on to something. Having got that off our chests. Yeah, having got that off our chests. <laughs> let's move on to the awesomeness of the community. So, Ben, um, as normal, you tend to do the shout outs from various places. Uh, yeah. Most commonly Instagram because it's got pretty things on it all the time. Um, but from other places as well, YouTube, etc. So, did you want to uh, go yeah, ahead? I got, I I've got I've got two this this month um, because um, it is very difficult to to obviously select two two hobbyists out of hundreds. Um, but what I tend to do is get to the end of the month and think which one stuck in my mind, and these two have. Um, so the first one is uh, Journey to the Warp, and he's a chap on Instagram. Um, who does Marines, um, particularly Marines. He does a few other things as well, but most of his posts about Marines. Um, and he's recently posted some form of Templar, not not Black Templar, but some form of Templar um, Space Marines. And they are just absolutely wonderful. Yes, I I they are. To you last night, Dan. Um, uh, the the weathering is what caught my attention, and it's very easy, like I've said before, um, to to do weathering to hide mistakes. I mean, that's in some ways that's a completely valid thing to do. Um, and for example, I'm batch painting some space walls now, um, and I will be using weathering to to, <laughs> to cover up some of those mistakes. But what I really like about this guy is that actually. The, the weathering is used to augment everything about the model. And I think they're absolutely, I think they're fantastic. Really good. I'm trying to find what he's, what sort of left 10, uh, what sort of temper he's called them. 
Um, but um, silver templars. Silver templars. It's just silver templars. That's... Yeah, and the silver templars are the ones that were featured as part of conquest. Oh right, the conquest yeah, magazine. Okay. So there's a transfer sheet and stuff for those guys. Oh, and a mini oh, codex cool. actually that came through co- co- conquest. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, that's really... he's actually written. I don't know how much of it you've looked through, dude, but he's written a little bit of background as well about all the little dudes. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. is. Oh, you showed it to Chris, didn't you, yesterday? And he was like, yeah. oh, my goodness, now I know why. Yeah, yeah. This is basically just Chris' hobby. Yeah. And he's um, he's done a... Oh, look at that guy. He's yeah, done okay. the Spears of the Emperor as well, I believe. Um, uh, and, and done them in uh, the weathered blue armour, which I just think is fantastic. Oh, mate, have you, have you seen his astral claws? Oh, Yes. Goodness me. Get yeah. out. What's this? So, that looks amazing, that Heroes of Armageddon picture. That's just just a cool thing. <laughs> Look at the Spear of the Emperor, dude. He's got a spear. I think he's a Spear of the Emperor. He's not got any white on him though, so I'm I'm, I'm just Yeah, he's got he's got the he's got the logo, man. He's got the chapter. Oh, yeah. Empress, Empress Spears, sorry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. mate. Do you know who else would look good converted like that, Ben? You know which I... other chapter would look great with Spears like that? That you've put a lid yeah. on and decided not to do Primaris for? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. brothers of the snake. <laughs> yeah. Iron snakes, arise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just yeah, like so that, I, think, I think that that is a a wonderful Instagram page. Um, so definitely worth going and having a look. Uh, and of course, oh, clicking. Oh, oh, oh have you seen his Imperial Fist? Yeah, I have. Yeah, I'm, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. Good. So that, that's the, that's number one. Number two is um, Albert Moretto Font. Now, okay. Albert Moretto Font, and I'm sorry if I've absolutely pulverised your name, posted his version of Oddgit. Now, Oddgit is one of my yeah. all-time favourite goblin models, and I have never seen anyone paint it as well as this. It is just sublime. And I mm. did not realise... Um, until recently, that this guy is responsible for one of my all-time favourite um, Golden Demon winners, um, which was an orc um, sort of sculpt conversion um, done, and I think it won the Slayer Sword actually um, from a, a while back. It is it is just wonderful, um, and his account is just glorious, really. So. Um, it is, isn't it? Wow. So, I mean, <laughs> we, we talk about lots of sort of different sorts of hobbyists, but um, Albert is is a Slayer Sword winner, and he's he's also an ex-heavy metal painter. So um, he is top tier, um, without any shadow of a doubt. And, and like I said, that odd gear, you, you, I mean, you would not believe how small that model is when you look at the picture of how he's painted it. It, it could be a Forge World, you know, five-up, a resin mold of the thing and it would still be fantastic um, have you seen the brazier that he's painted a bit further down yeah yeah 
What the hell? Yeah. <laughs> this looks like it's on fire. Yeah, it's it's next level, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's brilliant. Next that level, is brilliant. So there we go. That's my that's my two Dan. Um, two fantastic accounts, genuinely. <laughs> so please go and show them some love. That is, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just having a moment a minute over that. It's really, really, really good. Um, <sighs> right, so me now. Um, so I get the uh, honour to look through the 2P's hobby forum, which we've spoken about already, and um, and have a look. So we've got the painting competition that the voting's up for at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, we, we, it, le- it got left a little bit late. Um to do with weekend timing and, and a few other things um, got in the way last weekend. But um, this month coming up is going to be one that people should be able to fit in fairly quickly. It is a 15-minute speed paint, and I really enjoy these. We used to do them as competitions in in the store at Games Workshop Plymouth, and um, they work really, really well. The caveat is, obviously, because it's, it's not to say that um, not to say that we don't trust anyone, but I think it, the reason why we've asked people to do it is because I think p- people would enjoy seeing the process is to post a video of you doing your 15-minute speed paint. Now, you get to choose the model. Um, so you can choose any any model you like. And the goal of that is really um, to allow people to choose something that they're comfortable with and have painted before rather than forcing it on them. I would suggest that people choose easier models to paint uh, with less detail. Um, so unit, a unit model of some kind would be ideal. Space Moon, for example. And um, my other sort of top tips for this one would be um, plan it. Don't just rush in and do it. Plan it. Have a look at the model. Choose your colours. Choose how you're going to do it. Find the, the quickest way. And if you can, practice. Um, not hundreds of times, but you know, maybe once on a different model. And see where it works. In the past, um, in in the store, the most common way of doing things was to choose a base colour, get it whacked on the model. You're allowed to use a hairdryer, use the hairdryer, get the base coat dry, um, and then they dry brushed it. Um, again, washing it. We used to have a heater at the back of the store over the back door. And whenever we did these competitions, you used to see groups of people standing there with the, the fan heater on, holding their models up like they were worshipping it um, to, to get them all dry. But yeah, some some form of speed method where you're laying down the base, getting a wash on, and then picking out some of the details is usually your best bet. And try to do, choose models with a limited number of colours. So again, Space Moon is a very good example of that. Mm. Uh, you, you can you can get a Space Moon put together pretty quickly if you choose one that's got um, all one colour, such as an Ultramarine um, or a Dark Angel. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what comes out of that. 15 minutes of your time, um, plus maybe an hour or so thinking about it. Um, I will be doing one. Um, I hope Dan will do one, um, just to post up and have a bit of fun. And uh, I will encourage as many people as we can to do it. Oh, yeah. I mean, even I should be able to find 15 minutes. Do you know what you're going to paint? 
No, no, I don't actually. I was th- I was thinking actually of doing um, a, a, an exorcist. Oh yeah, yeah. So okay. I can sort of have a go see see how I can do it. Um, to be honest, the airbrushes are fine as well. You might find that airbrush will slow you down though uh, on the single model. Mm. You have to clean up between each each layer of paint, but um, you know, laying down a base coat with an airbrush would be absolutely fine. Um, yeah. but, but actually, I don't think you'd be much quicker doing that on one model than you would if you just got some paint and walloped it on. No. So, um, so going back to uh, the hobby group, then um, the first thing that I've got to talk about, uh, <laughs> absolutely love it. I'm just looking at it now. Henry Steele has posted a Warbringer Titan. Oh, um, for I believe it's Legio Krytos. Um, yeah, it is fantastic. <laughs> um, what I love about it is it is weathered, but yet it's still vibrant enough that on the tabletop and in the scale it's at, it will stand out, um, and you can sort of see see how well it's been executed. So, yeah. so sometimes, because um, obviously we spoke the other uh, in possibly the last episode about the Grimdark Compendium, and some of that yeah. stuff is incredible, and, and, I, and I love it. Um, however, I've seen some stuff on this that's so dark, you know, it, it's, I, don't, I think on a battlefield it wouldn't pop enough yeah. um, as an individual miniature. Stunning. But this, uh, for me, is, is exactly the level, exactly the level of weathered to... To vibrancy and and i think it's just brilliant. um yeah really nice and a nice addition to the reaver um it's made mm. me want to buy one of these i haven't painted all my others yet but it's funny isn't it i mean i don't know about you but i've and i he says as much that i've never had any interest in the in that titan at 40k scale no, the Warbringer bringer just doesn't interest me at forty k scale. At Titanica scale, oh, it does. <laughs> it really does. It's great at Titanica scale. Um, I think. I think often the type because they are so big, the pose can make or break it so mm. easily. And um, I seem to remember the one, the big one that Forgeworld painted is quite static sort yeah. of bombardment one whereas this one's got that kind of pose which it's got a little bit of forward momentum to it it looks a bit more aggressive mm. i think i think the posing has really helped it a lot yeah. um so yeah i i think that's really ace um got a shout out chris spurgeon for his first fulminator uh, it's good to see those getting off the ground and we're looking forward to seeing more of those dude as well um and we want to keep keep seeing those david's put up a really cool white marble tutorial um a bit further down a bit, bit further back in the group um i think it's on the back of an exorcist tank possibly yeah um is it? oh yes it must be because there it is looking ace yeah so um yeah so that's really good well worth checking that out um and thanks for posting that mate because uh you know it's great to share how you do these things because then mm. other people can do them and feel good and what on earth in fact i must put this as a question what on earth tim barkley is up to now i do not know he's got a giant leaping off ah it's kind of just come to me 
that looks like it's part of a ring, like a boxing ring. Yeah, yeah, that's what I. That's what or, I thought or a, it was. Or a, a wrestling ring. That yeah. is fantastic. I need to watch the video. <laughs> that yeah. that is brilliant. So yeah, yeah. Um, I, I got two from here. If you if you want mind. Yeah, now. yeah, go for it. Yeah, yeah. So Garen, um Hastings Evans has posted a beautiful two tone OSL um, of um, Eltharian where the two blades are blue and red. Um, and I just think he's done a wonderful job of it. So he's got a red glow on one side, blue glow on the other, and then on the back, it's the, it's the unlit colours. I think that's absolutely bonza. Um, I can't... I, I'm very tempted to steal that, like, completely for mine. Uh, love it. Absolutely love it. And the second one is uh, Simon... Andrews has painted up and posted um, sort of where he's at at the moment of, of his Rohirrim. He's done a fantastic job with these, Dan. And they've been, I've watched them grow over the last couple of months, but when you see them all together, it, it's really wonderful. Um, he's converted um, a few of the characters um, because they weren't, they weren't made yet. Um, and he's got a, a decent blob of cavalry, um, and foot troops as well. I just, I think it looks, they look great, really, really great. Um, and I'm very jealous because Rohirrim is definitely on the cards to be my next um, Lord of the Rings army, mm-hmm. um, uh, and a, a big inspiration. Quality work. I think though, and I, and I say this <laughs> deadly serious as well. My biggest inspiration and the thing I think is coolest. Um, on the on the group has been uh, in the last sort of day. Ian um, has posted up that his lad Owen has uh, has painted his first model. Uh, so he's done a plague bearer chaos. Yes, um, and he can't all be perfect. Three, he's three. It's the same age as Joshy, and there's a lot less paint all over his hands and the table than there was when I tried this with Joshua. So. <laughs> I think the I think the tuition is base is definitely much further up there uh, for me and than I did. So uh, I think, yeah, I think that's so good, mate. And he says he's really proud. So and I I don't blame him to be honest. That's just just ace. But dude, I love what, a grin on his face. As well. <laughs> yeah, he's so happy, isn't he? Yeah. I've just spotted in the background. There's a there's a suit of plate armor in that hobby room, Ian. Oh, Ian's a Ian's a reenactor. Yeah. Oh well, that's why then. That's very yeah. exciting. Cool. So yeah, um, some really good stuff. Please keep it up. Uh, thank you. And, you know, invite people in to the group. The, the more stuff that's going in there, the better. Because um, it, is, it is really cool to see such a positive place uh, going on. Um, so normally we would go for events, but events haven't really started reappearing as such yet. Some, no. I've seen a couple, but they're quite far off and a, you know, I think they're more of a hope than anything. But I think again, it just—it's just reiterating what we say every time about supporting the the place that supports you. So, whatever you need in your hobby right now, um, or and not just right now, because importantly, some—you know—you might not be gaming at your local gaming venue, but if you intend to, once you can, uh, and you are making purchases, buy them from them to help them out because it's tough right now. Um, and if you don't, they might not be here. 
Yeah, and and I and I hope they don't mind me talking about it. But I saw something I thought was really really good um, by Curtain Games just recently. So I made a purchase from Curtain Games, and they've added a functionality. And I was talking to Rob from Curtain Games about just this sort of thing, where you can add uh, a donation, and that donation is based upon their percentage off. So lots of uh, online stuff is driven by discounts, which is fine. Um, uh, but one of the things I said to Rob is, I, I bet you've got customers that would buy from you at RRP because they want to support you uh, mm. at a recommended retail price. You need a mechanic to let people do that. Um, and they've put that on there. So I think that's quite a good idea. I think it's a very good idea because it keeps them, you know, doing the thing that, that, that they feel they need to do to be competitive online, which is given the, the discount. Um, but it also gives the option for people. Uh, if they've got a little yeah. bit spare, extra money to, to give something back to them. Because yeah, they're... that's right. I, I did say, I mean, I, I, um, you know, won't make any, I'm not, looking for accolades but um so i i i elected to to choose one of the amounts um on there and i did message rob to say i do think they should give a free bag of haribo in any order where people select to support them in that way is that right yeah 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 definitely. <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> definitely um so so yeah i i thought that was quite a good idea yeah i did too yeah, yeah. um and possibly you know something especially well, well, for gaming venues to think about doing yeah um yeah and, and not everybody will want to do it not everybody will agree you know some people say well i you know i pay to play my game uh and so that's where i and that's fine it, it's not a problem <laughs> the, the option <laughs> the option being the options there, there. Right, so yeah. i think that's really good so yeah um shout out to curtain games as ever uh re really like the functionality they've got and I know a number of places have done this now with uh, with what's been going on, but it's very clear what's in stock actually in the shop. Um, so, so I think that's really good. Um, Particularly like the in stock filter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. Um, and, and as ever, shout out to Simon at SVG. I know he had um, well, all, everybody, all, all everyone's had a, a, a challenging weekend with uh, Indomitus, with their various platforms and how do we get it right and making sure people get what they ask for and stuff. So thank you to everyone that's been doing that. But yeah, Simon at SVG, um, really worth being in touch with. Um, you know, the Games Workshop stores as well are starting to reopen now. Um, so, you know, I'm lucky. Bristol Central and Cribs Causeway, really, really good. Um, big just down the road as we've already spoken about uh, in the mortal realm section so yeah a range of awesome people out there to get your soldiers from absolutely cool absolutely. so um with that i think it's probably about time to go to those wild old places drag chris back um from the clutches of the inquisition strap him to the excruciation desk or whatever um, and zap it for information about uh, Drowned Earth. Absolutely. Let's do it. Cool.
Hi guys and welcome back to Into the Wilds and we're joined once again by Chris. Hi Chris. Hi, thank you for having me. He hasn't, hasn't gone anywhere, we just <laughs> did it all at different times in the same place and make it look like we've done it in sequence. <laughs> but Chris has Based been... on the length of the previous two pieces we've recorded, the chances that people have got to this section, you guys deserve a freaking medal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so Chris has joined us for the, the um, Into the Wild section because we spoke a little bit about Drowned Earth last week and we mentioned Chris and his incredible project. Um, so we thought, what better to, thing to do than actually to get Chris to talk about his incredible project? Um, so, Chris, tell us a little bit about, firstly, let's try and structure it into an interview. What drew your attention to Drowned Earth? <laughs> uh, thank you, Ben. Um, what drew my attention? Dinosaurs? I, it's awesome. It's a wonderful, <laughs> Dinosaurs. Basically, <laughs> it's a wonderful little game system. I, I sort of was aware of it when it came out a few years ago. Um, it's... I think a very small sort of production level game uh, that was kickstarted uh, originally. And it's a skirmish miniatures game um, uh, with five or six models aside. And it's, but it, the setting, you know, um, the setting is just fabulous. So it's set in a, a post-apocalyptic world, which is gradually rebuilding itself um, uh, following a, 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 an event, which is simply referred to as the event, which gave rise to the, uh, post-apocalyptic um, lifestyle that everybody lives in or you know, the event was the apocalypse and wiped out or sort of the collective human knowledge but it's quite clear from the narrative that humanity got a lot further ahead than the 20th century in terms of its sort of um, technological and scientific development before the event occurred because they were able to sort of m manipulate genetic material on an unprecedented level and they they had obviously recreated dinosaurs um, for their own amusement, perhaps, um, as beasts of burden. It's not really clear why. I've seen but... that film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It didn't um, go well. <laughs> it didn't, did it? And then, unsurprisingly, this event occurs and the, the climate of the planet changes dramatically, or, or certainly the climate of the area that this is zoomed in on. And it's called the Drowned Earth for a reason. You know, water is a, is a major feature in, in the narrative and you're essentially sort of fighting through the tropics all the time. And it's a great excuse to break out all of your aquarium jungle plants. Yeah. Uh, and it, the jungle board that we all built in the 90s for our Katachan warriors to fight over. Yeah. Um, uh, and it, but it's wonderful. And, it, and the miniatures are beautiful. They're, they're metal. So they're, uh, you know, if you're coming from the, the wonders of Games Workshop's plastic, then it, they, they can be a bit tricky. But... They're, they're lovely little works of art um, you, and they're really appealing. The, the, you have a small crew of five or six people, but in that crew, you might have a couple of humans. But in addition to that, you'll have, you know, um, a, plan, a straight out of Planet of the Apes type ape character who walks on two legs uh, and speaks perfectly fluent English. Um, and they're, they're like a subspecies called the Berengi. And then there's another subspecies of lizard people and another subspecies of fox-like people because you know, pre-collapse pre humans were playing with DNA all over the place and they were mixing human DNA into the DNA of other races, so, uh, of other yeah, creatures, um, in order to create different types of races. And, and some of them have clearer purposes than others, but it's not really always clear why a particular race was created. And in all of that, there's all, there's all the traditional sort of post-apocalyptic conflict going on. Um, uh, so it's wonderful. And um, yeah, it's just got so much colour, so much vibrancy. And I've wanted for a long time 
um, to build a water, you know, a water board in the sense of a, a, a miniatures war games board that's covered in water and never ha really had cause to do so. Um, and I, uh, for what, you know, lockdown happened and for whatever reason I found myself, I cleaned out my garage and had access to all of my materials again and thought right now's the time. But, um, and I, I've looked at a few sort of Google tutorials and things and there are these uh, people build these remarkable things uh, and display them on the internet with these with these complex resin pores um, that mm. take sort of hours to cure and things. But I wasn't really into that. I wanted something very quick, very simple um, that I would also be able to play on. I remember Ben talked to previous podcasts. At what point does a model become so elaborate and so over the top that it's no longer practical to play with? So mm. I had that at the forefront of my mind. It, I didn't want to build a multi-dimensional, multi-layered resin board that if you stood a model on almost any any part of it, it would fall over. Um, so I just went with a, a, a straight two by two piece of plywood, painted it in some um, uh, uh, masonry paint that we had left over in like a dark green and mixed in a bit of uh, blue with that and sort of did some kind of swirly effects. And then um, one of our, our uh, uh, hobby group was very kind to share a tutorial they'd found that allows you to create a water effect using just PVA glue, um, which is mar marvelous. It does, it's not quick by any means, but um, it, it is great. And you just dab on bits of PVA glue in wave-like formations and you do that over and over again. And then you put three coats of gloss varnish on it and you get something that looks, you know, passable as a water terrain and looks quite mm. nice, really. It looks um, remarkable, mate. Like, thank you. It, yeah. uh, it's not just passable. Like I saw it and I was like, I said to you actually, didn't I? Because I said, how did you do this? And you said, oh, essentially some leftover wall paint and PVA. And I said, <laughs> I just spent a fortune on an AK interactive product to try and do that. <laughs> and it's true. It's true. And actually, you know, there is a lot to be said for all these products, but there's also a lot to be said for good old fashioned hobbying, you know, and yeah. like creating. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah and, uh, it, it's great. And so, and then my, I, my mind sort of spiraled from there. So I had all these old, um, jungle aquarium plants that I've never used. And I had a few, do you remember the old 40K, when third edition 40K was released, it came with scenery in the box and you had oh, all of those little yeah, corner pieces and then and they had those trees that you couldn't stick together with any any adhesive known to man. I've still got like packets of those trees. Um, and so I sort of uh, threw a few of those together and cut out a few bits more uh, plywood and stuck that down and flocked it and just experimented and made some you know, corner pieces for, of land for my characters to stand on and things. And then, um, oh, and then I, I think I was just sorting through some boxes and I found all that old goblin town terrain from the, um, uh, the Hobbit starter set that was released. And I, again, that's another starter set that I bought and had left pretty much untouched. Um, so I dug all of that out and painted it up and, um, covered it with sort of green moss and things and that looks great it looks like a you know rickety you can stand that quite neatly on the waterboard and it, mm. it looks fine it looks like it's emerging from the water um so that's that's good fun and then uh mr jolly was very gracious and gave me some barrels i painted those in red because years of playing video games has taught me that if you shoot them they explode um so we've got lots of red barrels for cover um and then i started to get a bit more adventurous and i thought well i want some more height i want some three-dimensional things on my board so i um i thought well, I've, I've got to do a waterfall i've got to try and come up with a way to do a waterfall and there's lots and lots of ways of doing waterfalls like, there are very expensive kits you can buy to create incredible waterfall effects but Again, Good. at the forefront Good. of my mind was, can you play on it? So I wanted the surfaces to be level um, 
so and, and scalable so i and i had lots of the old remember the old necromunda bulkhead type terrain that you would yeah. insert the card pieces in got thousands of those so i took one of those and i and then i i raided my garden for bits of bark and got the glue gun out and stuck the bark to the that uh bulkhead and built it up around it and stuff um and uh, sorry, yeah, I've, right. got, I've got to interject and say, it sounds like an episode of Blue Peter. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Here's one I made earlier. Um, that's not Blue Peter, is it? Um, uh, isn't it? Is it? Maybe it is. Yes, it is, it isn't is. it? Yeah. yeah, it is. Chase the Crazy Island. Crazy Island. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I got really adventurous then. I thought, oh, I, 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 I want some more... Sorry to interrupt. I always found that Blue Peter was a bit like heavy metal painting guys from the 1990s. Look, do this, do that, and then here's the finished project. Yeah, like yeah. A three base steps. Base yeah. coat, a bit of a highlight. Ta-da! Might yeah. be his finished model. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was, wasn't it? Um, it? And then about a lagoon, which is the last thing I was going to end on, um, because I wanted something to sit in the centre of the board and to sort of provide some blocking line of, uh, to block line of sight and whatnot. And so I built a lagoon, which is... So it, it's got like a, a rocky... Um, exterior and then sort of a pool in the middle um but the rocky exterior is tiered so that models can happily stand on it and climb all the way up it without sort of wobbling and falling off which mm. when you're playing with metal miniatures that weigh a ton and, and are delicately pinned in every uh, direction is obviously quite useful so i'm really excited to have a go and then i, I dived uh, once i'd sort of started the project i dived into the game ordered the rule book and, and the game itself is fascinating it's not like oh well um, I was going to say it's not like any other war game I've ever played. That's not, uh, I mean, it incorporates aspects of lots of other war games, but there are some bits of it that are really interesting and really appeal to me. And I'm looking forward to having a crack at. Um, in particular, it has a, it doesn't have a pass fail mechanic. You don't hit or miss. Um, it has varying levels of success. So if you, you can pass and therefore you hit your opponent, you do a certain level of damage or you can nail it. Uh, and get essentially what is a critical hit um, and the effects of uh, but that pass that, that that sort of stage success mechanic is applied to all sorts of aspects of the game so it's not just shooting it's also dynamic movement so your characters can you know jump out of a window as they're falling towards the water they're going to land in they fire their like submachine gun at a, a person in the distance and then there's a reaction mechanic in it as well that allows the um, your opposing player to fire back at you and that sort of thing um, a little bit like Infinity uh, in that regard, um, in that it's, you know, I think the Infinity tagline is it's always your turn or something like that, and it incorporates that reaction. Powerlands does the same as well. It's very, it's mm. good. I like it. Cause it's... I mean, I mean, even 40k, uh, you know, Overwatch is a form of a of reaction mechanic, isn't it, really? So mm. um, I really like that, and I can't wait to have a crack at yes, it. Yes, it is, in that the community reacted like a bunch of nutters. <laughs> overreaction, yeah. <laughs> An overreaction mechanic. Um, so yeah, it's great. I, yeah, and uh, I'm really looking forward to having a go at it, really. Uh, I've spent a lot of money on little, little metal men already um, and continue to do so. And, and it comes with dinosaurs. I mean, you know, what, that's the thing miniature wargaming has been missing for me, I think, for all these years. So, um, yeah. I'm thrilled. And they're looking amazing, dude. The, the, the metal models that you're painting mm. are fab. And Thank you. Really, yeah. I think one of the things that's always drawn my attention for Drowned Earth is, is, is you, you briefly touched on it, is the colour. It's so mm. vibrant. Um, because it's in a jungle setting um, and because the artwork is, you know, is very good, 
and the, the models are so diverse in their colors that you know because there's different kinds of models you've got like a little dude in a in a yellow robot suit that's reminiscent mm-hmm. of aliens and then you've got um a, a gorilla that reminds me of that um uh the dude from x-men you know you, you, just loads of little different things with different colors you end up with a really kind of vibrant collection um but it's nice to see that you know, it's always it's it's always easy to forget when somebody paints squads like you do, where you know, like you show us a picture at nine o'clock at night, and eleven o'clock you go to bed, and there's like a, a whole chapter of space. <laughs> like, but, um, yeah. You know, when you come back with a model, some of them have taken you a couple of days. Like we watched mm. that gorilla develop, um, and you know, there's so much color and your skill with using different colors as, as shades to less obvious shades to colors that are already there. Thank you. Um, yeah. It really comes out in those models because, mm. you know, for, for a lot of people, if you said, for example, shade green with blue, they wouldn't have thought to do it, but you know, you just don't do it naturally and it works really well. I, I, yeah, I just, I mean, you probably get the gist if you've listened to the rest, rest of the podcast, but I just love to experiment in all aspects of the hobby, experiment with what I'm building, experiment with the rules. Um, and, and experiment with the colors as well. So I, I, and I felt the same about Necromander. I, uh, I don't mean to get sidetracked and go back into the, the grim dark universe, but I was no, quite- Necromander counts as in the words. We decided that. But Necromander uh, is, has got the potential for a lot of color um, and mm. your models can look really colorful. And the Escher are a good example of that. And all of my Escher incorporate a lot of pink and a lot of blue spot colors and things and green. Um, but then that's not true of all, all of them. And I, I own the Orlox set as well. And the Orlox are sort of painted up in kind of dark blues and grays and um, in their official color scheme. And I remember I was putting them together and I think I started down a, like a dark red and silver color scheme or something. And I just kind of very quickly went off it and gave them all like bright green hair. <laughs> and um, yeah. it's just I really I enjoy think, um, kind of trying those different things out and seeing what it looks like I think we um, I think we suffer from a, a little bit of a, a, a weird cultural um, idea of, of how of drabness in certain circumstances and I, I think that comes from how films have portrayed the medieval age for the last 50 years essentially and drawn about it um, and I think I posted a thing in the in the forum the other day about you know you create you can create this medieval world and they apply the film filter and everything just mm. <laughs> grunge because humans love color they, they love it they love it as an expression and what you tend to find is the more drab the environment that they're living in um, like for example medieval houses would you know imagine it could be quite drab in the cities colour gets brought in through so many other ways. They will find a way of dyeing their clothes in all sorts of bright colours. And I've always thought with Necromunda, these are essentially people living in, in the crappiest possible circumstances. And when the world around them is is drab and grey and merciless, they're probably more likely to dye their hair bright green or choose bright orange trousers or in all of those things and, and use bright colored spray paints because those are all, almost an instinctive human reaction and there's lots of to go off completely to- off topic but there's there's a degree of uh, psychological thought about graffiti is that it is about often 
about taking a drab grey urban environment and making it bright. And it doesn't matter if what was written doesn't make any sense to anybody. <laughs> it's just <laughs> colour. Um, of course, there's as many different forms of graffiti as there are human beings, so that doesn't apply to all of it. But I think with Necromunda, a, for me, I think colour is, is such a thing because, um, you know, I think it's a way that people would express themselves when they're living in such awful circumstances that they would want to stand out and um, almost peacock a little bit because, you know, yeah, it and it's nice. It's nice place. from a, a gaming aesthetic because you put your models on a, like you say, quite a drab board. You know, even the stock tiles that came with the Underhive box set are sort of a yellowy kind of tone throughout, and mm. it's a lot of detail there. But there's a very consistent color scheme, and if you buy the Zone Mortalis stuff, you know, and you look on the back of the box, it's all grey. It's grey, grey, grey with lots of interesting light spot colors and things. But and then if you've got really vibrant, colorful models, that that's yeah. a lovely contrast to play with then and to. Uh, yeah, yeah uh, to enjoy. Um, but just to sort of conclude on the gender thing, I think you mentioned uh, previously that there was a kick, another Kickstarter recently for a yeah. slightly revised version of the game, which is now a cooperative affair that allows sort of a, your team of characters to go into the jungle and sort of fight dinosaurs and other adversaries and things. Um, yeah. So it's, got, it's, it's not so much a miniatures war game um, as it is a, uh, you know, like a, more like a dungeon crawler, but in the open. That kind of, like style of game really appeals to me um, mm. in a massive way. You know, a Warhammer Quest is like just the best game ever made in, in my, my humble opinion. And so I saw the Kickstarter come up and I think that's probably what triggered me, to be honest, um, mm. because I, I thought, well, you know, the Kickstarter won't be delivered for another year or whatever it may be, but um, I can dive into this now. You know, I could build terrain for it. I could yeah, buy the, the models. Yeah, exactly. And it was really that that then prompted me to get the rule book and start to look into the rules. And I thought, oh, actually, this looks like a really good miniatures war game as well as uh, the future uh, dungeon crawlery type arrangement that's coming out. So is there any, um, when, uh, when Fallout was coming out, there was a number of groups that, um, that prepared almost for the release of Fallout by creating scenery because they knew what it was going to look like because they had the aesthetic from the computer games. But is, is there any forums for or groups that you would recommend for Drowned Earth where that you there found is. on your travels? Um, Yes, yeah, so there's a Facebook group, which uh, I can't remember the name of, but I'll, I'll give to you separately and you can include it in your show notes if you like. And um, there's also a Discord server, which is increasingly becoming the, uh, the playground of those who, um, who, who understand social media, I think. Um, I, don't, I haven't really used Discord before, but because of, I was looking for Drowned Earth stuff and looking for uh, a place to kind of share my models, um, uh, I found out about this discord server through the Facebook group and have logged in and, and experimenting with it and stuff. And that's got a really supportive and vibrant community of people who um, are really enthusiastic. And indeed the creator himself, um, James uh, is on that discord server quite frequently. You know, he pops up quite a lot commenting on people's models and sharing ideas and things. And that's quite nice. It's nice always to speak to the person who came up with the idea in the first place, isn't it? And get yeah, feedback absolutely. from them. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I'll, 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 I'll dig out the um, various hyperlinks and send them over to you, Ben. And then. That'd be great. Brilliant. The, dra the Drowned Earth fan page is the Facebook group. Mm -hmm. Certainly that's the one that you shared to me and I'm. Yeah, joined. that's the one I'm in. Yeah. Excellent. Well, it's been a pleasure, gentlemen. Um, 
Yeah, though... thank you, Chris, for joining us, um, being our guinea pig for the Zoom style recording, but also just putting up with our married yes. couple style of recording. It's a pleasure. <laughs> it's quite nice to be able to interject. And I mean, um, well, having listened to you know almost all of the podcasts, there are moments where I just want to shout at my iPhone and say and like no chaps that's not how the emperor would do things and stuff so it's been quite nice to be here and be able to do that when, uh... anyone who has blended order and human DNA and one of the does not get to comment on what the emperor would or would not do think or otherwise well as I think not, we said with it's an emotive hobby <laughs> but thank right. you very much for having me that's all right. Well, um, for any of you that have made it this far, I know we say this quite often, but but genuinely this time, well done. Um, really well, impressive. We've got, we have an excuse, is that now we're recording this on Zoom, there's there's no indicator of how long we've been banging on for. <laughs> wow, well, yes. And there's three of us this time, so, you know, it's, it's an increase in time. Um, as always, uh, you can find us on various social media, Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter, um, YouTube a little bit. Um, All of our episodes go to YouTube in the case. Yeah, at the Two Peas podcast. Um, massive thank you to our patrons. Uh, you know, we try not to make a big thing out of it, which is why we don't put big thank yous at the beginning and what have you. But certainly at this time as well, really difficult to put money aside for that. So thank you. And those of you that have had to um, to stop your, your contributions you know, during what's going on, please, 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 please do not feel bad about that. It's really important that, you know, family life uh, needs to come first. So thank you for the contributions you have made. Um, and yeah, I think, I think that about wraps up episode 56, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Okay, yeah. good. Okay, guys. Well, we hope you've enjoyed it and, uh, and join us for episode 57. Bye.